This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Happy Monday morning. Hope it's a good day for you. It's pretty early for the Matt Townsend show crew. <laughs> Everyone's just somber and quiet. Reverend, we have a very reverent studio this morning. As we're trying to regroup and reboot for a whole new week. Man, today, uh, another day of, of life. When you think about it, boy, you got some stuff you got to let go of. We have been talking about it for about a week. Uh, today, tonight actually, is a night of forgiveness. And um, today we will be talking about the ability to forgive, uh, the science of forgiveness. And Dr. Charles Randall Paul will be joining us. He is an expert uh, really in dialogue and interfaith, interreligious diplomacy. Um, after the Pope has gone home, apparently he made it home. He's safe and sound at the Vatican again, tucked in probably, having a, a maybe a day of rest today. But man, you see one religious leader, and regardless of you know whether you're Catholic or not, you could appreciate a lot of what the Pope's saying. A lot of his messages, whether it was in Washington, D.C., in New York, in Philadelphia, powerful. It's powerful to see how one religious leader could have such power over all of these other political leaders in the United States and and influence, not necessarily power over, but influence over. And that really is our first guest today, Dr. Charles Randall Paul, in just a few minutes, will be joining us. And uh, he's going to talk to us about religious diplomacy. Maybe the way we fix a lot of these issues in the world would be to get religious believers or religious leaders from different faiths or uh, just leaders of different mindsets, paradigms, to be able to sit down and with a trustworthy dialogue talk. It seems like even uh, the pundits were having a hard time because they – I really liked some of what the Pope said, but not all of what the Pope said. And so – Maybe one of the rules is we need to maybe move away from the political spectrum and get into just discussing some universal principles we all agree on. You know, we a lot of people love the Pope's words on immigration. Yes, open up the doors, let let immigration happen, take care of these people as they need to flee their their other their other uh, countries. And everyone loved that. Woo! Yes, loved it. And then, you know, he makes other comments that drive people crazy. Uh, Like, for example, you remember Kim Davis from Kentucky? On the Pope's trip home in the airplane, everyone was against Kim Davis because, you know, she shouldn't be – she should just give the licenses to to the same-sex couples, even though it was against her conscience. And the Pope made a big deal that you got to allow the human right to refuse doing something that violates their conscience. Interestingly, he said that aboard the papal plane on the way home. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. 
which part of the Pope do we want to follow? Anyway, it might behoove us to to learn how diplomacy could work a little bit better. Dr. Randall, uh, Charles Randall Paul will be joining us, teaching us about dialogue and diplomacy. Heaven forbid. It might be a really good idea, also considering that uh, John Boehner, he's gone. And a lot of people are like, sweet, that's going to swing Congress to the right. Mm -hmm. Boy, this is going to get crazy. (laughs) Anyway, Kathy, did you have a good weekend? I had a good weekend. Did you? I did. What did I do? I slept a lot. You probably should have with that voice. Yeah. yeah you still have it. Yeah. It's, I still have a cough. I, I, you know, you feeling for, better, though? Um, yeah. Yeah? For having not smoked ever in my life, <laughs> I have a smoker's cough. <laughs> oh. I wasn't even around a lot of smokers. You know, hmm. tried to keep it clean. What are you going to do? <laughs> it's not going away. It's not going to go away, I think, for years. But whatever. Uh, let's go to the headlines, Kathy. Find out what's going on in the rest of the world. Good morning, everyone. President Obama is set to meet with Russian President Vladimir Putin today, the first face-to-face meeting in nearly a year. Expected topics are Russia's growing military presence in Syria and the ongoing crisis in Ukraine. Before the meeting this afternoon, both men will speak to the U.N. Assembly. In the latest Fox News poll, Hillary Clinton's personal favorable ratings hit a new low mark, while Ben Carson continues continues to climb on the Republican side. Just 38% of voters view Clinton favorably, down from 45% in May. Part of the reason for her decline is the ongoing email controversy. Clinton says she's cooperating with the investigation. Uh, I can't predict to you what the Republicans will come up with, what kind of you know charges or claims they might make. I have no control over that. I can only do the best I can to try to respond. The Justice Department has the emails. They have the server. They're conducting a security inquiry. They will take whatever necessary steps are required to get this matter resolved. The number of voters who view Carson favorably is up 20 percent. He's at 46 percent now from 26 percent in May. That's the highest number among Republicans. GOP frontrunner Donald Trump has 34 percent favorability rating to 59 disapproval. And when asked if voters approve to President Obama's job performance, 44% approve, 50% disapprove. The majority of Americans oppose shutting down the government over funding for Planned Parenthood. According to a poll out of Quinnipiac University, 69% are against the shutdown, just 23% support it. In the same poll, 52% of Americans say they oppose defunding Planned Parenthood at all, the majority in that group being women and Democrats. In his biggest event of his U.S. visit, Pope Francis urged the hundreds of thousands gathered in Philadelphia to be open to, quote, miracles of love. The Pope also said God weeps when there is sexual abuse. And it continues to be on my mind that people who had the responsibility to take care of these tender ones violated that trust and caused them great pain. God weeps. The Pope wrapped up his six-day visit last night before leaving on a flight home to Rome. During his stay, the Pope spoke on climate change, immigration, religious freedom, and marriage. On his Twitter page, the Pope said, With my heartfelt thanks, may the love of Christ always guide the American people. German prosecutors have opened a criminal probe into former Volkswagen CEO Martin Winterkorn. This coming after the automaker's recent admission it installed software to cheat emissions tests in 11 million of its diesel cars. Winterkorn resigned last week, accepting 
responsibility for irregularities, but not any personal wrongdoing. Historic rainfall along the Gulf Coast turned roads into canals and parking lots into lakes, and it doesn't look like they'll get any let up today. Mobile, Alabama saw its 10th wettest day since records began in 1871. Yesterday, they got more than seven and a half inches of rain. The downpour today is soaking areas of the Florida panhandle, while a separate rain system is hitting parts of Louisiana and Texas. And Matt, did you see the blood moon last night? The super moon. Not only was it the best and last opportunity of the year to see any kind of eclipse, this eclipse is extremely rare, happens only five times in a century. Isn't that crazy? So the next super moon, you ready? Yeah, when? 2033. Oh, I will be so Will you be too old? (laughs) You won't be able to get out of bed. Just look out your window, right? That it didn't mine didn't look so bloody. Yeah. It wasn't as dark as I think I expected. Yeah, Yeah. Mine was kind of a what would mine be? Just an orange glow yeah. with a hazy fog around <laughs> Did you it. get your food storage? You know, a lot of people thought it yeah. was the end of the world this I didn't week, get so. food storage because no. I know my neighbors have a lot of food storage. Uh-huh. I just got a lot of guns. Okay, good. A lot of guns So you and have ammo. the guns, they have the food. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, it's that's gonna, a good combo. It's not yeah. a bad combo because <laughs> then all you, you can eat as much as you, as much as you can shoot. <laughs> Hand it over. <laughs> Give me your gun. It's, um, yeah, that was freaking a lot of people out. But a you could see people. about, you know, a thousand years ago, what would people be thinking? Oh, yeah, that would be scary for them, I'm sure. It was also fun to watch the local newscasters like try to explain what it is. Mm-hmm. So I sat on my trampoline watching it <laughs> with my teenage son, 18, who could explain it beautifully. And he said? And he basically just talked about the shadow, and you could see the shadow of the Earth, Earth on uh-huh. the moon. Right. And, and it was actually it was fascinating as he's explaining it. And then we'd go in and watch the news, and they'd be like, well, there's lots of dust, and <laughs> there's a flow <laughs> Anyway, you're like, okay, I didn't know what they were talking about. But my, so all you got to do is trust your 18 year old who likes Mm -hmm. YouTube. Yeah. And that's, he'll answer all your questions. You can go to YouTube for anything. Holy cow. Yeah. And Wikipedia. Super accurate. Uh Super accurate. And Craigslist if you want to buy something (laughs) illegal or exotic. So how old will you be in 2033? I don't even. Do you want to say? I don't even want to say. Yeah. Okay. But I. (laughs) I'll be old. You'll be a grandpa for sure. Yeah. Well, you'll be a grandpa soon. I'll be, what? I'll in be how many in my months? 60s. I'll be a grandpa in about three weeks. Wow. How exciting. It's really great. Except, you know, it's weird. Ever since my daughter told me we're having a baby, my hips have been hurting. Yeah. You know well, what I mean? Well, you're getting my that back, baby weight. You're my getting sciatica. That, uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's kicking in. That's it so pathetic. Pretty. It's going to yeah. be great, though. A girl or a boy? Do they know? It's going to be a girl. How fun. They're naming her Mattina. How fun. Are you going to call her Maddie? No. No. I just keep saying, you ought to name her Mattina. They're like, that's a dumb name. I'm like, well, you're dumb. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> we don't talk. Yeah, you never, <laughs> never, never uh, criticize the name of your grandchildren. No. Uh, well, they did bring up some names. We're like, oh, yeah, yeah, no. They'll get teased for that. I will not have a granddaughter named that. <laughs> They're like, it's not your choice. Like, okay. <laughs> they have a Stay lot of power it, over you. Yes, they do. Until they have the baby and they want it babysat, then then we have the power. Uh huh. But I have a will feeling. Will you babysit a lot? Every day. I will every day. I can hardly wait for a baby. Ah, uh, that'd be fun. Because then you just give them back. It's like not yeah. a big deal. Uh-huh. When like they a... start to cry and they yeah. mess their pants, then here well, you go. Hey, I smell something. <laughs> Here's son-in-law. You take care of that. I did that. Then they're it's done that. I'll let you come over and play with my grandbaby. Will you please let me? And then that, that'll get your boys all motivated. Oh, call. Help me. Somebody help me. You got I need a girl. Kids, I know. You'll get one. Okay. You'll get a girl. Okay. You'll get a daughter-in-law. It's going to be great. Hey, we're going to take a break, folks. Joining us in just a few moments, uh, Dr. Charles Randall Paul will be here. He's going to uh, walk us through diplomacy and uh, religion. 
how maybe turning over some powerful discussions to our religions around the world and opening up some diplomacy there, that might be a faster way to change society. We'll talk about dialogue. We'll also be talking about the Night of Forgiveness that will be coming up tonight at 503 theaters around the country. Interesting way to uh, promote forgiveness. And Dr. Charles Randall Paul is a part of that. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, with uh, Pope Francis just leaving the United States, it dawned on me that, you know, there's a lot of power when religious leaders get together. And wouldn't it be interesting if we could maybe have more of our world religions and more of our religions and, and faithful religious people discussing, discussing and making dialogue and having dialogue over the world issues. Uh, I mean, recently, a lot of you may not even know, but in Philadelphia, there was a world conference on families, and which was, I think, one of the reasons the Pope was coming to Philadelphia in the first place. I think he ended up not speaking there, but, you know, one million people still showed up for mass there. And um, But at that world meeting of families, they also had other religious leaders other than Catholics speaking and sharing their best practices, it truly might be a a new form of diplomacy that we're seeing happening here. And joining us on the phone is Dr. Charles Randall Paul. And Dr. Charles Randall Paul is the founder and president of the Foundation for Religious Diplomacy, which is a nonprofit group that builds trust between religious critics and rivals. He's also going to be joining uh, later tonight in the Night of Forgiveness. You've heard us talking about that. There's a movie being released called Just Let Go uh, tonight, um, and if if you go to the website justletgomovie.com, you can find uh, where the movie is going to be released in your area. It will be released nationwide to 500 theaters, and as part of the event, they're going to have interviews after the movie. This is a movie about a father who lost his wife, his unborn child, and two other children in a car accident by a car that was being driven by a drunk driving teenager and lost his family. But in the moment of the accident, just right after the accident, still on the scene of the accident, this man was able to let go and forgive this boy. Um, And so later tonight, they'll be doing a a premiere of the movie um, nationwide, and you can go see it. And then after the movie, they'll have some interviews and some panel guests, and part of the one of the panel guests will be Dr. Charles Randall Paul, who's going to talk about you know this dialogue and having a dialogue around forgiveness. Dr. Charles Randall Paul, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Good to be here, Matt. Honored to have you. And um, when I found out about you being involved in the Just Let Go movie, I also uh, read more about you, and I am so intrigued about your organization. Um, the uh, Foundation for Religious Diplomacy. Talk to us a little bit about what is the purpose of the Foundation for Religious Diplomacy, and what do you think the impact could be if we could uh, further your your organization's purpose? Well, uh, I think in speaking to a general audience, um, 
uh, it might be um, simple to say we could create a situation in the world where there is what we call peaceful tension, where people um, do not aim for a tranquil um, peace, but a peace that is always including um, a contestation over what the highest purpose of life ought to be, what the best way of pursuing that purpose ought to be. The, the, the deep idea that is both good religion and good social psychology is that human beings want to both feel unified and also unique. Hmm. And that uniqueness, that specialness, um, is d- demonstrated in a resistance to being absorbed by others completely, by being the same as. And uh, this happens in families, of course, as kids um, try to get along and yet make sure that everyone in that family knows I'm special, yeah. I'm unique. It happens in religions. It happens in politics. And so our great insight at a general level is we have the wrong idea of peace if we assume it means we must keep from talking about our unresolvable differences, but only talk about and work on things where we can find commonality. Hmm. That's only one piece. We like to say the goal of peace is, is peaceful co-resistance and collaboration at the same time. And we do that more than we realize in our a good marriage has as anyone who's married knows that there's a a peaceful or a respectful resistance between the couple as well as enormous amounts of collaboration so that's our big idea that is and and to a mormon audience if they're mormons in the audience we might say the idea is to create zion wherein there's one heart and one mind and that is People respect and love each other, but they did, can disagree about all sorts of things. So Zion is not a boring place. Um, Zion is a, a place of, of um, continual um, disagreement that is done in love and interest. It's not contention where people try to shut each other down. Yeah. People try to eliminate each other or kill each other because they disagree. It's it's the opposite of that. You engage in we use the word diplomacy, by the way, yeah. instead of dialogue, because diplomacy implies that you have a purpose to influence the other to change in some respect. And the great insight in our organization is if you want to influence someone to change, if you want to be a missionary, you have to be open to their influence on you to change. Sure. Imagine sitting down as a missionary and saying, well, I'm here to teach you the gospel today, but half the time I'm also going to listen to you try to influence me. That's a different mode yeah. than we're used to, and it's a very exciting way that can change the world. It's interesting because it, you talk about how we we argue, a lot of us do, we argue for our uniqueness instead of noticing where we're unified. Yes. I mean, even after the Pope comes, we, we, you can be a Catholic and— but you're going to hang on the one comment that you're uniquely suited to deal with instead of seeing the other 99 comments you may have agreed with. 
Yes, that's true. That's exactly right. And what we do is, uh, on the one side, when you come up to that insight, people tend to swing the pendulum too far in the other direction and say, let's not focus on our differences at all. Right, yeah. You know, let's just look at what, where we can collaborate. That's useful, but it's not whole. It's not real. The reason we come back and want to resist the Pope is, is, is also part of reality. It's not evil. It's that we want to have our uniqueness, just like the Pope wants his. Yeah, right. Anyhow. So, so part of that is the world. I guess you need, you need a place where people can suspend their – I mean, they can still try want to try to influence others, but also be open and suspend their walls and, and allow themselves to be influenced. That's it. That's the big key. And we have found in this experience that unless a person has great self-confidence or faith, if it's not self-confidence, then it's faith in, in God, unless someone is centered, if it's not God, they have trust in, in uh, the force or in Dharma, yeah. or even, even an agnostic could have trust in his or her rationality. They've got to have some form of confidence, or they won't open themselves up to the influence of others. They'll feel too afraid of being absorbed or, or set wrong by or contaminated by. So it's a fascinating thing that we say great religious diplomacy has to begin with a person becoming very strong in his or her religious hmm. convictions. And that, that, that sounds ironic. If you're going to be open, well, you've got to loosen up your convictions. Just the opposite. You only can be, feel safe and open when you, you're pretty certain about your convictions. Then you, you feel safe about being influenced. It, it's, a, it's, an, it's, a, um, it's an ironic um, reality of life. Yeah. No, and I think, man, how powerful could that be? If we could – and I mean you could see this happening in the political world, the GOP, the the Democratic Party. I mean if you were confident in your principles, you should be able to be open enough to hear and understand another person's position from their frame of reference. You just have to possess your own sense of self-confidence. That's it. Or if a lot of people don't like the word self uh, I, I use that word a lot, but I found in other religious traditions the idea of being confident, at least in some ultimate reality, uh-huh. right, that you're relying on. It isn't you, yeah. but it's some— I mean, it could be science, right? It could be— It, it could even be science, exactly. Uh, and uh, You've nailed it, and I really like the way you went into politics, because we started our foundation years ago on religion, but we found it meshed into politics. And then it, it meshed into all sorts of cultural differences, and— uh, we can't talk about today, but we've started a software company called The World Table, uh, in which we're launching this week a new software on on, on uh, any website that wants to use a new commenting system that's based on this idea of mutual disclosure, honesty, and ethical uh, response. And we, I think, hmm. you'll find The World Table will be um, something very powerful politically if we're if we're able to change the crummy comment yeah. board system. That it would elevate the comment board. boards. Is that what it does? Because yeah. some of, so many of those are just they're, – they're semi-anonymous, really, and you got they're it. brutal. You got it. Yeah, and you get they're the crud brutal. beat out of you, and there's no yep. accountability. Yep. So you've, you've just used our – the very points we're using in, in selling our product to the world. Is yeah. You, 
can't, you've got to have mutual accountability, and it's, it changes the conversation totally when we like to say it's not a, no longer a comment board. It's a conversation system. Yeah. Anyhow, that, that conversation has to happen. It can happen on any topic. It can happen in a family. It can happen between married couples. A guy named John Gottman. Yeah, we know John. influenced our foundation years ago because he and his wife are marriage therapists, and they discovered that long-term successful marriages, this is a key, successful marriages never resolved two-thirds of their conflict. Right. But they were able to engage with integrity and respect their differences from time to time. They didn't hammer each other over the head with them, right. but they didn't force the other person to change in those areas. They, they found a way of absorbing that conflict with, into their marriage in a way that was respectful. That's I love that. fascinating. No, it is. And that's, again, that's the peaceful tension, the co-resistance and the collaboration. Yeah. Oh, that's good stuff. We'll be right back. More with Dr. Charles Randall Paul from the Foundation for Religious Diplomacy. Man, imagine that. Peaceful tension um, where you you may not be able to solve everything, but we can sure understand from each other's point of view. Powerful stuff. Diplomacy, my friends. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. To the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, on the phone with this, Dr. Charles Randall Paul. And uh, Dr. Paul is um, joining us um, from the organization, the Foundation uh, for Religious Diplomacy. It's a nonprofit group. He's the founder and president of it. And he's here to teach us about the power of diplomacy. If you go to their website, religious-diplomacy.org, religious Dash diplomacy.org. Um, it's just to me, it's it's a it's a really enlightening conversation when we consider, you know, a lot of times we trust so much in the political diplomacy movement of life, and yet maybe we're still not quite understanding what diplomacy is. So I wanted Dr. Charles Randall Paul to join us today. Dr. Paul, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks for having me, Matt. You bet. Also today uh, is the day, uh, the night of forgiveness. It's an event going on nationwide. 500 theaters around the country will be showing a movie called Just Let Go, which is a, a, a movie about a man named Chris Williams who lost half of his family in a tragic car accident um, that was caused by a teenager uh, who was drunk driving. And But in the moment, he learned to forgive and now teach us, Dr. Charles Randall Paul, how are you involved in the movie tonight? It'll be released to 500 theaters nationwide. What part of the movie will you have tonight? Well, I'm on a panel that the producers are um, assembled to talk about forgiveness, um, practically speaking and religiously speaking, across different religious traditions and practical traditions. Forgiveness is, um, for example, in an LDS environment, we have uh, scriptures that tell us um, God can forgive whomever he will forgive, but up to you. It's, uh, you can't choose. You're supposed to forgive mm-hmm. everybody. Right. And we, 
So you come in with that attitude, but that scripture is an LDS scripture. Um, other Christians have different views. Non-Christians or, or Buddhists, for example, have very different views about what forgiveness is. And they brought me on the panel to talk about the different religious um, positions on forgiveness. The Jewish position on forgiveness is very different in that it focuses strongly on there must be justice prior to forgiveness. Hmm. And it, it's a very interesting thing to talk about. Um, that's why they've got me on the panel. Which comes up in the movie, because a lot of the families um, around this Chris Williams uh, person, they're, they're, a lot of family members, friends are saying, look, you've got to go get justice. This boy needs to go to prison. He needs to go to prison as an adult. And um, because they, they wanted justice to be a part of the forgiveness. I think even Chris wanted justice to be a part of the forgiveness, but he didn't want it to dominate and over and destroy a boy's life that was a, a teenager. What so so really I guess this is a perfect example. Forgiveness is something the world needs more of. We all have our different approaches to it. How how do you suggest we as a society um, create more diplomacy around some of these issues like like forgiveness or even issues like um, fairness. And we, we have a lot of movement going on in um, Black Lives Matter in the United States and the LGBT movement, organizations and groups of people that feel like they haven't been treated fairly. How could we create a better dialogue around some of these universal needs? Well, the how-to is um, a very big question. We, we have a problem of scale, in our societies, you know, the founders started with a, a nation of what was it, 12 million people? I can't remember exactly what it was in 1776. Very different when we've got uh, 325 million people. Right. And how you create a conversation between 325 million people? Um, you you have representative government, you have leadership that that people rely on, and Right now, to to create a conversation, we have two things that are beneficial. One, we have what you're doing right now. You've, we've got technological media that allow people to have effectively representatives. You, you and I are representing, in a sense, a conversation mm-hmm. today for thousands of people that are listening. And people can then, with their imagination, participate in that conversation. So we believe that the Internet has a lot of problems, but it can be a fantastic um, place for uh, honest and trustworthy conversation. The Internet is an interconnective uh, methodology that hasn't yet developed an ethical, trust-based ethic for it. And once that happens, once we have the 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 traffic rules that everyone starts um, uh, following, and the, uh, the people feel more confident about being authentic with each other, then we can have these kinds of conversations that change hearts and minds. And, and I, I want to go step back and say that this is sound social psychology. It's been proven, and we all know it at some level in our, in our own practical hearts and minds, that if you trust the motives of someone and their competence, then 
you can have a heart and mind changing conversation with that person. Mm. You can trust them. If you don't trust their motives or their competence, you might trust the motives of a little kid, but you're not going to give them the keys to your car. Right. Uh, so there's trust has those two strong elements to it. Both you and and. In order to change the world, if you will, in order to change the polarization, in order to have conversations over uh, what should, what is fair and what is just, and when when should we apply mercy or forgiveness, there needs to be a an established trust level first. And to get there, people have to be convinced that someone cares deeply about the outcome for you, not just for them. Yeah, yeah. So that's the first step. And a lot of people would call that, uh, Martha Nussbaum actually uh, calls this political love. Hmm. We need to actually bring love back into a non-sentimental um, discussion where it means you care about the well-being of the person you're talking with. You really do care. And the second is we do need to um, deal with people who have had some experience and uh, have some talent and, and competence so that these communications can happen in a way where people understand it and, and things can really change that way. So those mm. two things, are I, they sound like they're very general, but I'm working right now very hard with our plan called the World Table to create this trust-based ethic for the Internet for people to begin having these heart-to-heart conversations that – if you're not participating in them, at least you're observing them and therefore vicariously uh, feeling the change in your heart toward someone who might have – you might have seen as an enemy who really is not your enemy but is someone who disagrees with you. Yeah. And, and that's the difference. We, we've got to get we've got to get over the idea that because someone disagrees with you, that person is your enemy. Yeah, you call them trustworthy rivals. Is that right? That's right. Somebody, so, so some, rivals, a rival, a, a competitor, yeah. but yet you trust their motives and you trust their competency on the issue. And there's something That's powerful right. about having that type of diplomacy or conversation. I'm, I know you're a social psychologist as well, and that's uh, one of the areas I studied a lot. And uh, our meaning, our symbols are created through our interaction. And so if we tend to have a, if we tend to have a method of interacting that is constantly facilitating or fostering mistrust and or uh, not necessarily conversations based in competency but just based in you know rhetoric or whatever it seems yes, exactly. th- that that yes. will just create more negative symbols right yes exactly you know uh, uh, both on the right and the left right now um, it's it's fascinating to listen to what they're saying about Iran whatever your politics are try to hear what I'm saying here both sides are saying well first of all we can never trust the Iranians, period. Never trust them, period. And so they're playing to this tough position that they think their constituents want to hear. At the same time, it's very obvious that they are trusting the Iranians a little bit. Right. In other words, they're in negotiations with them. That's right, right now on Syria, exactly. Exactly. In other words, the, the, we like to say, don't listen to what person's saying. Watch what their body is doing. Mm-hmm. And if the body goes into the room with the rival to have a conversation, that's big. Right. That's big. That shows you want a relationship. 
You need that relationship of some sort. You want to have a change, and you can only get it by having the relationship. So um, even though we do a lot of uh, uh, rhetoric at times to, to, to show our constituents that we're, we're not compromising, at the same time, we know at some level, I think President Reagan said it best, we ha- our, our whole lives are based on trusting and verifying, mm. trusting and verifying. And we're, no one's stupid if you trust and keep getting beaten up then you stop trusting, right? Yeah, yeah. You've got to verify that trust is worthy. Anyhow, I'm going into perhaps a little no, but that's, a tangent away from where you want to take me on. Well, this, I really like – one of the things I really like um, about tonight's event, this Night of Forgiveness, and again, it, there's 500 theaters nationwide. All you need to do is go to the website justletgomovie.com. I think it's com. And um, when you get there, what you can do is you can actually just – Type in your zip code, and it'll show you where the theaters are in your area, and you can go sit down and watch this movie about forgiveness and justice, and then it'll hear – you'll have a great discussion after with uh, Dr. Charles Randall Paul and some others that will be focusing a lot on um, kind of the deeper understanding or discussion about forgiveness – I think it'll also it'll open up. I think it's a great movie to take some of your older kids to to create a discussion about how to let go. If anybody's been out there that has been harmed or pained, um, that they need to let go of some past pain, this might be a great opportunity to do it because it's going to at least open the dialogue. And Dr. Charles Randall Paul, as we as we wrap this up, to me, it's the perfect example of taking one principle that the world all needs forgiveness a little bit more of. And then an example of, a, of somebody that we can trust, his motives, like Chris Williams will be speaking, and you'll see that Chris isn't gaining much by doing this movie. This isn't like a Amen. big blockbuster moneymaker. Yeah. And I've seen him two or three times in the last week, and he's killing himself to get out there. He still has to work his job. He still has to do other things, but he wants to create the discussion. So it's almost got all the makings for what you're saying as – a diplomatic opportunity to grow and to change. Yes, I, I think that wrapping this up, I would say you can see his motives are good and that you can trust that this is going to be a great experience. It'll touch your heart and mind. I, I just want to wrap up also by saying that uh, Professor Hugh Nibley used to say, if you're trying for justice, you can never get it just right. <laughs> you can, you're always either under or overlapping with justice. Yeah, yeah. But with, but he said, but with forgiveness, that's within your capacity. You can over-forgive, and it's okay. In other words, in your soul, yeah. uh, you don't have to have forgiveness just right. And, and, I, and it, because it's, it, it's tied to love, it's something that's kind of immeasurable when you, when you go that direction. I love that idea. That's we should great. try for precise justice, but realizing if we always just aim for justice, we're never going to have justice. So forgiveness comes in and makes up for that inability to get justice just right. Mm. Beautiful thought. Beautiful thought. Uh, Dr. Charles Randall Paul, again, from um, the Foundation for Religious Diplomacy. Go to that website, www.religious-diplomacy.org. And also make sure you go start looking up and checking out the World Table, um, which is that new uh, commentary system that they're putting out. I mean, honestly, that is so needed right there, just to elevate our discussions um, online. Powerful stuff. 
We'll take a break, my friends. Come back, uh, do a little Coach's Corner, wrap this first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll wrap it up with a nice tight bow. Stick with us, folks. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Wow, you know, it's it's just such an interesting time of uh, in, in politics, right? In life, there's always this tension. And it, it was beautiful, I think, just some of the lessons that we, we heard from Dr. Charles Randall Paul. This idea of peaceful tension, and every one of us are in it. Peaceful tension doesn't mean everything's just great. That means there's tension, right? A, a pulling, a stretching between your ideas and my ideas. But there's peace. There's a respect between us. And that may very well be the problem with uh, our our ability to talk is because we simply – we don't necessarily respect each other's point of view. We don't respect the insights that other people are bringing to the discussion. And instead, we disrespect them. And the minute we're disrespecting them – you're not going to have a peaceful tension. You're going to have just tension. Um, it's Tension is inherent in life, right? And really, when you think about it, tension is where the growth is. You need to, you need to be stressing yourself in order to go create some growth in your life and your body. You need to go exercise, and that exercise is, creates some tension. But it's a good tension. It's called eustress, E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S, eustress is the healthy stress that that ensures growth and development. Do you have the ability to listen to another person's point of view without freaking out, without getting mad and and ignoring them or name-calling and without shutting it down or just walking away shaking your head? It's I, I call it clutching. Um, at some point, you know, you just need to put the clutch in on your car and then you can re-engage a different gear. Now, you can try to engage a different gear without a clutch, but you're just going to grind things. And so much of what we're trying to do is everyone in this world wants to influence everyone else, but very few people are influenceable. And if you're not influenceable, then why would I trust you? If you're unwilling to understand me from my frame of reference and be open to me, why would I trust you to tell me – and influence me. That's one of the great quotes that, uh, that I teach when I teach communication skills. In order to influence someone positively, you must first be influenced by them. As soon as you're willing to be influenced by another human being, it doesn't mean you have to be converted. It doesn't mean you have to totally change to be their way. But I should be able to listen to someone of another faith and understand where they're coming from. Shouldn't I? And what's interesting is when I soften myself enough to do that with another human being, they sense that I care. Another quote I teach in every one of my classes, I don't care how much you know till I know how much you care. So first, are you influenceable to other people? And do they sense that you care? Because if you have those two things, you will have more power to then tell them your side of the story. Pretty basic. I mean – this is just human nature. 
the nature is to protect yourself and to, you know, cover your ears and la, 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 la. Pretend like they don't have an opinion. But the reality is they do have an opinion. And if you want to influence them, you have to understand where they're coming from, even if you don't like it. Think about this. Would we be better served to understand why people from other worlds want to kill the West and and Americans and Christians? And would that not make sense to spend some time truly understanding them from their frame of reference? Or would it be better to just demonize them and call them all just crazy extreme freaks? The minute you've validated in your mind that they're just a crazy extreme freak, it's over. It's over. We've got to remain open. We've got to get more confidence in our ability to dialogue. So that's one of the goals of this show is to elevate, if we can, the level of dialogue so we can hear what others are saying. Doesn't mean you have to agree, but it also doesn't mean you can't understand. Good stuff, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, hour number one. It's done. We'll be back with more tools, more ideas next hour right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the tools, the information you need for your family to grow healthier, happier lives. We're not just bringing you the news. We want to give you the latest headlines and information. Sure, that's great. That's important information. We also want to give you the tools you need to actually take a step forward in life. And make it through this crazy ball of mud. A lot of us, you know, you're just drowning. And you want to, you want your kids to have a great shot. And we're going to give you the tools. Today, by the way, the science of forgiveness. The one, two, three. We're going to give you basically a three-step model on how to forgive someone. Coming, by the way, from one of our... Uh, Experts here, Dr. Dean Barley here at Brigham Young University, he is going to walk us through um, some of the science of forgiveness. And there's three basic steps that he has learned walking, uh, working with BYU students who have suffered some pretty major traumas, and he's going to basically help you through it. So be thinking in the next few minutes. We, we'll be back with him, and I want you to be, you know, where's somewhere that you need to get some forgiveness? Because we're going to get into it and give you the three steps that uh, can help you heal. When you've been hurt, when somebody has just wronged you, we'll get into that in just a few minutes. By the way, speaking of being wronged, what on earth did Michigan do to BYU (laughs) Saturday? Wow. Yeah, I don't even know what you call that. I think BYU fans, you need to listen to this science of forgiveness. Yes. Oh, wow. Well, you know what? Michigan was on fire. Wow. They they could do nothing wrong. Nothing wrong, and BYU could do nothing right. Right, yeah. Like that catch. There was a one handed catch oh, that, by a guy. Yeah, right There's then a lot I thought this going is going to be a long day. Yeah, right then. Okay, <laughs> we're in trouble. I better get to lunch going. Yeah, you know, it's just I don't think they. I don't know what their record is on morning games, but they usually don't play very well yeah. when that's in, in the morning, and they definitely did not play well. It's it's like nothing worked. No. Oh, but, it's, well, that, it's like they literally. It's almost like. 
I don't know. They were just sleepwalking. I was like, what is going on? They were sleep playing. Yeah, sleep playing. There you go. Yeah. I, you know, I'm not a morning person, but I can still pull it together. Yeah. You got even you got you got to fake it even uh, if you have to fake it. I just don't know how you don't get up for a I mean there's there's a crowd was over 108,000 people. Oh. I don't know how you don't get up for that. Maybe they were intimidated. I really don't know. Well, that's got to be just uh, crazy. Think about it. walking into that place. Oh. They're all checking you out, throw, you know, they weren't throwing stuff, but just intensity. Yeah. It's almost 50,000 more than than well, seat here in Provo. That's uh-huh. a huge crowd. Yeah, that was bad. And then boy, football's exciting though. This is this is fun to watch. And my Green Bay Packers play tonight. Are, they, are you going to uh, be watching? I wonder. I Monday hope, night football. I hope. Who are they playing? Yeah, I don't even remember. I hope actually. they. Do, maybe they're going to need. Maybe they're going to. Somebody there's going to need some forgiveness because tonight's the night of forgiveness. Yeah. Well, they're playing at Green Bay, and oh, they yeah. usually never lose there. So uh, I'm excited. I can't wait for tonight. Um, I forgot you're a, you're a complete addict. I, I love Green Bay. I mean, I love cheese, but you love the Packers. <laughs> yeah, it's a good combo. It's a great Yeah, combo. so that's my bucket list. That and going to Wimbledon. Those two things are on my bucket list. Wow. Uh-huh. Well, they're playing Kansas City. Kansas City, yes, that's right. That'll be a good game. Uh, yeah. Kansas Andy City, always one tough. and one. Packers, yeah. two and oh. But yeah. they're also playing in Green Bay, so that's... Interesting, I heard today, I think, I said Aaron Rodgers has not thrown an interception at Lambeau Field. Is it three years? Three or four years. Are it's you crazy. serious? Yeah, it's a crazy number. He's what? amazing. And the, the game is 6.30 Eastern time, I guess. Is that right? Yeah. Is that so, right? Yeah. So it's the late. That, that's early today. It's six thirty p.m. Six thirty Eastern. Oh, it's probably it's probably Central Time. That sounds more like it. Yeah. I don't know, but that's um, you know, that's Go uh, Packers. Uh, I I personally like Kansas City. I mean, okay, tomorrow I mean, you're on. I, I mean, really, I. <laughs> we just, you're a Chiefs fan. You I'm, didn't I'm even a know Chiefs it. fan. They're they're one of my they're one of my. Uh, they are. I follow the Chiefs. Okay. <sighs> Tell me all about them. Tomorrow. We'll talk about it tomorrow. <laughs> okay. All right, Kathy, take us to the headlines. Uh, okay, good morning, everyone. President Obama is addressing the United Nations right now, at, in, right now, speaking to the General Assembly. Russian President Vladimir Putin is also scheduled to speak today. This afternoon, the two leaders will meet for the first time in nearly a year. The two are expected to discuss Russians' involvement in the Syrian crisis as well as in Ukraine. Outgoing House Speaker John Boehner says he has plenty to do before he leaves at the end of October. I've got another 30 days to be speaker, and I'm going to make the same decisions uh, the same way I have uh, over the last four and a half years to make sure that we're passing conservative legislation that that is good for the country. I expect that might have a little more cooperation from some around town to try to uh, get as much finished as possible. I don't want to leave uh, my successor a dirty barn. Boehner resigned last week and over the weekend lashed out at those on the right in their political strategies he said never had a chance of succeeding. Boehner said there will be no government shutdown. Former President Bill Clinton is lashing out at Republicans and the media, saying both groups have launched a, quote, full frontal assault on Hillary Clinton's campaign over her use of a private email server. Hillary Clinton yesterday talked about her transparency transparency on the issue. There's only so much that I can control, Um, but what I have tried to do in explaining this is to provide more transparency and more information than anybody that I'm aware of who's ever served in the government, and I'm happy to do that because I want these questions to be answered. 
Clinton's favorability ratings have taken a hit primarily due to the email controversy. A new Fox News poll shows her personal favorability hit a new low of 38 percent. That's down from 45 percent in May. Pope Francis wrapped up his six-day U.S. visit with a mass in front of hundreds of thousands in the city of brotherly love last night. His visit to Philadelphia was the third and last leg of his historic U.S. visit. Yesterday morning, he met with bishops, prisoners, and victims of clerical sexual abuse. As he was leaving for Rome last night, the Pope said he left with a heart full of gratitude and hope. Apple said today it sold more than 13 million iPhone 6S and 6S Plus phones during the first weekend on the market. That's a new record for the product. The previous record was 10 million iPhones in the first weekend of 2014. Former prison seamstress Joyce Mitchell is expected to be sentenced today for her role in helping two convicts, Richard Matt and David Sweat, escape. Mitchell could be sentenced for up to seven years in prison. In a little more than an hour, NASA will announce a major science finding from the agency's ongoing exploration of Mars. Speculation on the find continues, but two of the participants at the press conference are authors of a paper that claimed images on the planet show flowing water on the surface. And Matt, the world world's largest football player yeah. is from California. Did you see this kid? I saw this guy. John Cron, I believe you say, seven feet tall, over 400 pounds. He plays for Martin Luther King High School in Riverside. And most wow. players in high school, they say, are around six feet tall and about 200 pounds. He's 17 years old, a senior, looking at a college in Montana and oh. has aspirations to one day play in the NFL. If he doesn't make it there, he wants to become a police officer. Oh, man. A very imposing, intimidating police officer. I thought you were going to say a Broadway actor. (laughs) No, that might work, though. Seven foot. I don't know how many seven foot, 400 pound actors you need, but. Holy cow. Did you see the video of him just like pushing kids down? Yeah. Can you you believe? It's kind of like the blind side. Remember that kid, you know, in in the high school just was crushing people. But yeah, this kid's a little bit bigger than that. Holy cow. But my, my, in Little League, your kids play. The disparity's that big sometimes. Oh, yeah. My poor little nephew's eight, and he yeah. plays on a team in a league where my kids played. And generally, we played these other schools locally that um, have kids that you go, you know what? Can I see your Something's birth certificate? You're looking like kid. you're 14 instead he of eight. He just drove in here. Yeah. He just pulled in. <laughs> He's got yeah, two kids. Yeah, something's not right with that. <laughs> playing oh, yeah. I feel so bad. My but you know what nephew. I realized? Speed. Mm-hmm. He can That's be as team. big as he wants at some point. Someone's going to get around him. You, yeah. you got to keep up with the rest of us. That's, right. That's what I learned yeah. with BYU. <laughs> Gosh, speed is important. So, did your boys win over the weekend? Uh, yes and no. One 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 loss. One 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 loss. Sadly, the uh, the lanyard that had the address on oh, for no. the game, the coach got the wrong address and during the morning and the wrong time. Oh no. And in the morning, went hiking with his family, and so he and his son never even really made it to the game. But you got there. We got he, there. He's the only one that got the wrong yeah, information? just the coach. So who did you coach? No. Oh, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Who stepped in? Uh, well, we have a, like five Oh, coaches. an assistant just yeah. kind of. Okay. So and just, that's the one that won or lost? They lost. Oh, there you go. Blame it points. on the coach. Blame it on the coach. Yep. Blame it on the team mom. So he didn't the even lanyard. get there? The coach never even no, got he, there? He didn't even get there. Oh, wow. That's because he good. was hiking. Mm-hmm. And then he got home and then... They went to the time and the the field and realized, oh, no. Boy. <laughs> it's also interesting. Apparently, nobody called him. Mm. Like, maybe, so they, think, maybe that was a hint. Hey, where are you, coach? Maybe they told him on purpose. Oh. See, the assistant coach is trying yeah. to work his way, way up, up into he the head coach. He wants that coaching. job that pays a lot well, of money. Well, he lost. So <laughs> he pays zero. Yeah, that's crazy. Man, Little League football, lots of fun there.
Lots of fun. Hey, coming up in just a minute, Dr. Dean Barley from Brigham Young University will be joining us. He is uh, going to walk us through some of the top lessons he's learned as a clinical uh, practitioner working in the comprehensive clinic here at Brigham Young University, helping people move on in their journey in life and, and get through their journey of forgiveness. He'll be teaching us three basic steps, folks. Uh, listen up. This is an important one. If you uh, need to process and get through some for act of forgiveness, if you're, if you're in need of that, uh, this is the time to uh, listen in. Buckle your seatbelt. We'll be right back, folks. Dean E. Barley will be with us in just a minute. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it's so hard when you think about it. Uh, Somebody offends you. Somebody harms you. They do something wrong. They've abused you. They've intentionally done harm to you. And then you're just supposed to let it go? Well, that may not be possible, right, early on. That might be much more difficult And boy, nothing could be more annoying than having somebody tell you you need to let go. But there comes a time when you personally may just have decided, you know, you're not, you got, you can't do this anymore. You've got to find a way to just heal and to let it go. And so how do we do that? That is the, that is the big question about it. Um, In fact, sometimes it's, it, it not only seems impossible but maybe there's a time, too, where just physically it's too hard maybe at first to let go. And remember, a lot of this um, is coming from a night tonight called um, just a, a night to let go, a night to forgive, which is a, a movie called Just Let Go. We've been talking about for the last week on the show about forgiveness. And um, if you would like tickets, uh, you can go to the website justletgo.com. And while you're uh, on that website, just enter in your zip code, and it will take you and, and show you where in the country that this is being held in 500 different locations. And you'll be able to find out where you personally can um, go see the movie. At the end of the movie, Just Let Go, which is the story about how one man was able to let go of the pain uh, of a motor, uh, an automobile accident that actually took his pregnant wife and two of his children, a third child, by the way, was was uh, transported to the hospital, I believe, in a helicopter with a brain injury, and he was able to let go. And it talks about the history of how he went through that process of, of forgiving this teenage boy that had taken his family. And uh, anyway, go to the website, justletgo.com, and find out about where you can go see that. Also, there will be a, a wonderful discussion after the movie that you can watch in the theater from experts all over the country um, in you know discussing the power of letting go. But we wanted to get an expert uh, that could help us through this. And uh, we've brought in Dr. Dean Barley, who's the director of BYU's Comprehensive Clinic, to come on in with us and talk to us about some of the work he's been doing with survivors of sexual trauma and their journey towards forgiveness. Uh, again, Dr. Dean Barley, thanks for being here. 
Good morning. Thank you. I don't know that I see myself as an expert on forgiveness. <laughs> I know. You, nobody I'm, feels that way. I, uh, I walk in the field with people who've been through a lot of things and I've learned from them. That's that, in, in fact, that's what I want to know because it's, it's one thing to tell people to forgive somebody. It's another thing to actually go do it. And you see people that have been through very horrible traumas, horrendous difficulty, and you're, you're seeing that there's certain things, I guess, that they're doing or able to do or stages they could go through to finally let things go. True. And uh, I don't know exactly how this will unfold this morning, but I'd like to give tribute up front to a couple of people who write about this. Yeah. yeah. And your listeners may be interested in the work of uh, Robert Enright. He's written books. Uh, one that I'm most familiar with is called Forgiveness is a Choice. Mm. And then Everett Worthington wrote a book called Five Steps to Forgiveness. And these would be excellent resources uh, for people, our listeners out there, to consult. And the thing that I appreciate most that they've done is they've taken what may feel like an impossible process and broken it down into steps that Hmm. uh, people who have been through horrible things can do. It seems like forgiveness is almost counter nature. Like it seems like your body would want you to hold a threat constant as a threat and not let go of the th- the, the threat side of it so you're not going to be hurt anymore. So some of what you're battling, I guess, is your nature. Exactly. The initial obstacles, if you bring up when the idea of forgiveness presents itself in working with trauma uh, survivors, there's often a, a repulsion because it, the, the point is, how could I possibly forgive someone who's done this? Right. So you have, you're confronting intense anger, and then there's also an uh, amount of fear that you're describing of, I don't want to be vulnerable, so this could possibly happen again. Yeah. And then there's a, a cognitive confusion about of what actually forgiveness means. Mm-hmm. I don't understand the concept, and, and then I don't know how to do it. Yeah. Because we think forgive means you forget. Forgive means all is well. It's all good. You have to go be with the person again. And sometimes that's hard. I mean, that's hard or maybe not even a part of forgiveness. No, indeed. In in fact, initially, you've uh, hit exactly upon some of the major obstacles to forgiveness. Um, If it means reconciliation, I have to expose myself to this person again. I'm not interested, and people quickly learn that reconciliation and forgiveness are two different concepts. You could forgive and not reconcile and not hang out with them, not take your kids around that person. Because it's unsafe to do so. Right. Yeah, isn't that interesting? So forgiveness is your choice. Reconciliation isn't the mandate. You you, You can still forgive and protect yourself. Exactly. The other obstacle that uh, people will give voice to is if I forgive this person, somehow I'm letting them off the hook. Yeah, yeah. Justice will not be served. And the concept that uh, survivors will come to eventually is whatever happens to uh, the offender has very little to do with my ability to forgive. Hmm. And so eventual justice is actually meted out by someone else. In, on earth, it would be a judge. Yeah. In heaven, it might be God. And what I, the choice I make whether or not to forgive has literally nothing to do with justice being served. It's all about me extending mercy, yeah. which is a different event. And it, is it true that by me, I would think sometimes by me not extending um, that mercy, 
I might become someone that I'm really not in my heart. I might become more of an angry person, more of a fearful person, which probably would make me more mad at myself. That becomes part of the motivation for the uh, the survivor. And they say, no, initially, it's, why should I forgive? Why do I have to do this? And the answer, of course, is you don't have to. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is, as you continue living the life that you have, is this the way you like to live? Do you like being angry? Do you like being fearful? Do you like ruminating uh, about this? Uh, do you want to pass this on to the next generation? Do you want this to affect your relationship with your spouse? And uh, sufferers will realize what I'm doing isn't working. Yeah. And, and so is there another option? We call it forgiveness. It's a confusing concept. Can you help me understand what this might mean? And so part of the motivation to to experiment, explore, is indeed if I keep doing what I'm doing, it's not the life I want. So that becomes a motivator huh. to say, well, what else What else can you offer me? What else is there? Now, you, you work you're, as the director of BYU's comprehensive clinic. To explain what that is, just so people know where you're coming from in the, your context. The, the clinic, I'm an administrator there, and the clinic is a place where we train marriage and family therapists, future marriage and family therapists, clinical psychologists, and social workers. And a uh, tremendous place of learning for students and service for the local community of folks needing counseling but perhaps don't have funds or are not uninsured. Mm-hmm. And so it's a living, thriving clinic with 100 therapists and 1,000 uh, cases that come through wow. every year. And so it's a marvelous place of service for the community. My role there as an administrator, my experience in working with those who've been through trauma has been uh, mainly in prior experiences in other employment as well as uh, private practice. So you see... You see a lot of pain, a lot of need to forgive. Yeah, I do. I, I, uh, I'm pausing. I see every case that comes through the clinic, uh, hmm. and I, my heart goes out to people. As I realize, all of our listeners today, probably if we ask a simple question, um, who, what burdens are you carrying today? Who would you like to forgive? Almost immediately, things come to mind. Yeah, and so we all need this healing bomb. That's such a great uh, thought. I mean, really, everybody has been grieved one way or another, has been harmed, and 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 we carry it. It seems like it sounds like it's something that until we, I mean, is that true? Is there just a time when do we just need to let some of our pain fester for a bit? And to to be able to let it go, to kind of disconnect it from us, and it's it's often true that we become we're not aware, and so part of the if we were to use uh, Enright's and uh, a model of, of describing how people go through this, the very first phase is an uncovering phase of what have I, what have I been through, how has it affected me, what am I doing to deal with it, with part of which may be. I'm suppressing, I'm just trying not to think about it, I'm trying Mm. to avoid it, or I'm overeating, or I'm uh, abusing substances. Uh, And then how does it, am I okay with using those techniques? Usually people say, well, no, I'd like to move on and do something different. They become aware of anger, shame, of depleted emotional energy. Uh, I've only got so many units in a day, how much time do I spend 
coping with these mm. uh, things that keep coming up. And so as people go through that kind of an experience of trying to figure out how this has affected me, then that moves them into the, that be the uncovering phase of this is what I'm doing. I'm not pleased with the uh, how it's affecting me, how I'm coping. I want to do something different, which moves them on to a decision phase. Let, let's talk. Um, let's actually take a break. But so if anybody's out there and as you're uncovering, you're noticing you have more anger than normal. You might have uh, or more shame about some things or you said a depleted emotional energy. If you see that you're medicating some of these emotions with other things, those might be signs it's it's getting close to time to, to be doing something about it, which is part of the first phase that we're talking about. Uh, when you get into the science of forgiveness, um, we've got a great guest. Uh, Dr. Dean Barley is joining us, and he is walking us through um, – some some great work, not just his, but f- from some other professors and, and authors around the country and uh, helping us understand forgiveness. First phase is the uncovering process. We'll come back and continue um, on to figure out, okay, once we're kind of seeing something's going on, what do we do then? Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you learn to forgive right here on BYU Radio. To the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us right now is Dr. Dean Barley, and he's teaching us about the science of forgiveness. He's the director of BYU's Comprehensive Clinic, which uh, is a group um, that helps train counselors, therapists, to deal with uh, all of the different therapy issues. And uh, he's written an article, actually been cited in an article, about the science of forgiveness that uh, I think is a wonderful resource for all of us. We wanted to bring him in today to talk about how we actually go through the process of forgiving and healing. Um, And he's been using and citing some of the work from Robert Enright, who wrote a book called Forgiveness is a Choice, also Everett Worthington's, uh, also some other work he's been citing. Again, Dr. Dean Barley, thanks for being here. My honor to be here. Talk about, uh, just redefine for us, what is the definition of forgiveness? Again, this is citing Enright's work, and I really like what he said. Definition of forgiveness. People, upon rationally determining that they have been unfairly treated, Hmm. forgive when they willfully abandon resentment and related responses to which they have a right and endeavor to respond to the wrongdoer based on the moral principle of beneficence. That's a hard word. Uh, It could be charity, uh, which could include compassion, unconditional worth, generosity, and moral love to which the wrongdoer, by nature of the hurtful acts, has no right. And so they're actually extending something. The offender doesn't have a right to this. They don't deserve it. Based on their action, they don't. They they haven't earned it. And it's something that I mercifully do in a spirit of generosity. And, That's amazing. And it's yeah. freeing for me. So they – because you could have the right, justifiably, the right to be grieved and in pain. And forgiveness is giving up that right to instead go 
choose a morally more charitable, beneficent act of forgiving, giving mercy to somebody that didn't quite earn it. And and the thing I like about this definition is it honors the survivor, the forgiver, yeah. by saying, you're right, they don't deserve this. Because immediately it comes to their mind, they don't deserve this, you're right, you're right. they don't. And, and, and what's the, happening is this is for you. It also said, and I kind of like the correlating emotions and feelings and junk, because there's also, I guess, and this is where the psychology comes in, is there's a correlation, even if it's even if it's justified to hate somebody, it's not your morality usually. It's not right. what you – so with that comes your own pain, your own guilt, your own – these issues that seem like psychologically would break you down. It's so a setup for a conflict. Uh, as moral beings, obviously when we're trespassed against, we feel an anger. Yeah. The continuing resentment that can come, that's where you and I have choices. Initially yeah. the anger may come. But then we have a choice as if we want to continue that, and therein lies the conflict because mm. most of us really don't enjoy uh, continuing to be angry. No. Uh, it's something I would like to give up, but I get confused and I don't know how to do it because every time I think about this event, it angers me or frightens me. Yeah. Or if I have uh, a severe trauma, and I want to mention this, many, some of your listeners may experience this. If we've been severely traumatized and have a post-traumatic stress condition, Trying to walk through the forgiveness work is hard because when I think about the events, I have extreme emotional and sometimes physiological distress. And so people need to get to a point where they can think about these events and not get triggered hmm. as, as they work through the forgiveness uh, steps. One of the first steps you talked about before the break was that there's kind of an uncovering process where you you just go through you know some of your behaviors you're living with, some of your coping mechanisms, some of your anger, your shame – your depleted energy, and, and you're, you're sorting it through, I guess, trying to uncover that a lot of this is source has a source of your forgi- where you need to forgive, of your pain, of your abuse. That's going to be part of the motivation to move forward because as they settle down and realize how badly this is affecting them, they're going to want to move forward. I want to mention one thing that perhaps uh, this thing of rumination or cognitive rehearsal uh, I, I, we hadn't mentioned Often people, this eats at them enough that it comes back to them frequently, especially when there are, quote, triggers. And that's mean anything in the environment that reminds me of what happened in the past could be a trigger. And people may uh, initially be unaware of, why am I so upset all the time? Yeah. And it could be, oh, this reminds me of a parent who abused me or of of whatever this this event was. And part of moving forward then is learning how to manage Mm. those triggers and – the two other things I'd want to mention for people in the uncovering phase of I need to understand and give voice and honor to how I have been permanently affected by what this happened. And there is a, there is a sense and a phase of, of mourning that needs to happen for how life might have been different had this not happened. Yeah. And that's true mourning. They have to allow, I would think, it's helpful for them to allow to pass through that. It seems healthy yeah. to include that. And then finally, uh, I, there's an altered world view. Folks who've been through trauma, uh, the world, they're no longer 10 foot tall and, and bulletproof. Um, the, the previous perhaps optimistic, maybe a little naive view of the world is going to change, hopefully not to cynical and pessimistic in the world's full of people who are bent on injuring me. Uh, they're they're going to go through that. But often folks who've been through things, their worldview is shattered. And so we give them a chance in this uncovering phase to, uh, to kind of recognize that, recognize. understand this is happening. Exactly. 
and, re- and reframe maybe the world. Yeah, yeah. They have to, they have to see that how they've been impacted. They've been wounded. In revolt, the end result, it's I've been hurt. I don't like the way this has affected me. I want to do something different. Hmm. So that leads us to the second step, exactly. which is, I guess, where we, the 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 offended, the the one who's been harmed, makes a decision that exactly. they're actually going to forgive, and then and also, I guess, they go, they kind of commit to it externally. What does that mean? Exactly, and so uh, a decision phase fairly simple. I can sit down and review what I've already written. The two tools are fairly basic through the whole process, a journal and a confidant, which could be a, a counselor hmm. or a group uh, where people have can uh, sit and walk through this with someone else so they don't have to do this alone. So in my journal, I could go through and, and uh, read what I've written and, just, and say, yep, there are pros and cons to me staying the way I am or to moving forward, and that often helps. Hmm. Uh, I need to understand that definition of forgiveness that we read earlier and reflect on what that might mean. And the commitment to move forward is simply, I realize what I'm doing. I want to try and understand the offender in a way that helps me to forgive. And so I understand uh, it's difficult for people to say at this decision, I will do this. It's good enough to say I'm going to endeavor to -hmm. do this. As I understand this more fully, I really do want to learn to do something different. And that's good enough. Yeah, just just I will. It's kind of I will make a best effort to exactly. En- I mean, the word endeavor is a great way. Yeah. I'm going to endeavor this attempt to forgive. And and I, I can commit publicly. Often, when we, if we do it privately, it's not as helpful as if I've written it down in my uh-huh. journal or I've told someone else. So if I just tell my counselor, that's a major step forward. Absolutely. I don't have to go tell my family. No, you don't have to. But I don't even have to tell the offender. No, and the contact with the offender is something you would carefully consider. Yeah, any contact. This gets hard and complicated when the offender is, let's say, an ex-spouse. You've divorced them, but they continue offending over and over and over and over, yeah, doesn't you, it? You brought up a very the the context in which this is happening is vital uh, in the uncovering phase. Who is the person? Are they still alive? Just to have contact? Was it a family? A stranger? a neighbor, uh, do I uh, still want to have a relationship with this person? Uh, those those all are wrapped into how this unfolds, mm. yeah. And even if you don't have the relationship, I mean, close relationship, your children do. Right. And then, you know, oh, dad said this about you, and you're like, oh, you've here right. we go. Don't bring up your father. I mean, it's so, this is why family systems are so complicated, aren't they? Because yeah. And human systems, because... It doesn't end sometimes. And that brings up a fascinating point on uh, people think if I forgive, it's a one shot. Yeah, it's thing. an event. I have forgiven you versus I am forgiving you. I'm working to live with you in a different way, think about you in a different way. I'm moving uh, in a way that I don't have to take offense yeah, at but, everything you but do. But that might be 20 times a day. Right. And then eventually down to one time a week. But still, it's even when you're done – you, you shouldn't forget the pain. I mean, you went through it, right? You, you've got a memory. Right. This doesn't mean you forgive and you lose your memory. It just means you've converted the memory into something healthier for you. And this model that we're talking about here is more, I think, based on uh, an event, maybe a series of events, mainly in the past and yeah. not ongoing things. There may be other, other models. Uh, might address. Uh, you perhaps are aware of uh, Terry Warner's work yeah, on yeah. living with people, and the fact is, I may be part of the problem, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So that might be a different thing that our listeners may want to consider if they're in a relationship where they find that uh, daily forgiveness uh, and the way I see and live with a person, I may be provoking the very behavior that I want Hmm. to stop. So that's probably a different conversation. So I use my journal and I use my contact with, uh, you know, a kind of a partner or what what do you call them, an empowered kind of a confidant. Confidant or helper. Um, and I, I come out and I, I talk about how I'm going to endeavor to do this. Then what do we do? What's the third step? Then we're going to get into the work. And the, the simple part, the simple, the summarized word for the work is understanding the offender in a way that helps me um, let go of some of the anger. Huh. And so empathy would be that word. A quick story about Amy Beal that's often used. And the beautiful thing about forgiveness is you and I can find heroes who've done this, and it brings it to life. Yeah. You've mentioned Chris the, Williams. The, the movie that's coming out. Uh, Beale was a uh, story of Amy Beale, 26-year-old, murdered in Africa. Her parents went to the trial where her murderers were reconciled, yes. and the father uh, said, uh, we need to move forward with uh, linked arms. They learned that the, the people that killed their daughter were actually freedom fighters, and uh, they actually later hired those uh, one of those people, the murderer of their daughter, and said, uh, he's part of our family now. So it's an a, wow. almost an incomprehensible move of understanding these people, that they weren't monsters. They were just young men trying to figure out a way to help uh, end apartheid. So reframing means I uh, the, the working phase has a lot to do with me coming to understand my perpetrator. Often... The, these people are injured or hurt people as well who'd also had their own trauma. Not to excuse them, but to put it in a context where I can see them in a way that my heart can begin to soften. Yeah. Oh, that's I – mean, and, and part of that is just maturity because none of us has all of the information anyway. We just – we have the pain and the pain wants us to constantly interpret this person negatively when there's other context. Even just – they may just be mentally ill. The, the offender may just be they, – they themselves may have been abused or mentally sick or, you know, there's there's always other information that could enlighten us a little bit. Exactly. So the, the steps involved in the working phase, can I see this uh, person, the uh, offender, as a, a member of the human community? How might God see this person? Might this person be forgiven someday by God? What happens if I see this person in heaven someday? Mm. Uh, those are great questions. What, what would I have done if I were in his or her shoes? How am I like him or her? Yeah. Anything that might help me to see this person in a different way. And uh, often as we change the cognitive view, the emotions follow. Mm-hmm. And, and we can do this. You call this the deepening kind of phase where we, we, we just need to continually keep doing this and understanding it and understanding it over and over and over. I like, too, you're also framing it through our bigger, more universal paradigm, our God, our our deeper belief system. It's almost aligning it now to what you value, your your higher principles. Right. And so cognitively, as I change the way I see the person, often I feel differently, and we move indeed into the deepening phase, which is uh, almost an existential spot where hmm. people begin to understand what is the cause of suffering, where does suffering fit into my world view? Uh, how does my what have I learned? What am I learning from my suffering? Uh, a lot of people feel isolated initially. Now they're starting to understand uh, how much we are all alike, how much we all suffer. There are other people out there who've been through what I've been through. 
What are the benefits in this? Many people at this point begin to articulate, you know, this was has been horrible, but it's made me who I am. Yeah, yeah. I understand now who my friends are. My life's priorities are different. I understand my relationship to God. And, mm. and so our suffering uh, becomes uh, an instructor. Yeah, valuable. And that's the fourth phase of deepening and understanding. And now I find a narrative, I create a narrative, where all this has meaning. Yeah. What I've been through, whereas before my worldview was shattered, now I've integrated it into my understanding of life and how it works. And instead of separating me from others, I've rejoined the human family and indeed often want to embrace and help others. Now, it's <clears throat> what's interesting about this too is you this isn't theory you see this you take you and your counselors uh at the BYU's comprehensive clinic people you you go through this with people and and you see this work right and one thing that was mentioned in one of these uh, books was a study where they walked people through this process and it was a series of uh, it was a group of uh, incest survivors mm. and uh they had, quote, some forgiveness in 14 months of intense one-on-one and group work. And so for some people, that might be bad news. For other people, they may feel tremendously relieved to know, oh, so I don't have to just drop it and do it all in one day because sometimes our heroes seem able to do that. It may be more common for people to work through it, and it may take time. Yeah. And then uh, at the end, one of the reminders that I like that Worthington says is if – if you're re-triggered and you feel anger again, that doesn't mean you haven't forgiven. No, right. It means you're in the process of doing it. Mm-hmm. And maybe this isn't a moment. This isn't. This is a lifelong process. True. Don't you think? I mean, as long as you've. I mean, I guess it could happen overnight. Chris's Chris's change happened instantly, but he had a memory, so he had to keep going over it and over it. And in the movie, that's what he does talk about: is okay. this was daily. This was. And then he had to deal with the rest of the world's lack of changing over it, you know. Mm. So he could change, but his neighbors couldn't, and family struggled. And but tell, maybe just help us as we wrap this up. Uh, again, we're speaking with Dr. Dean Barley here from BYU's Comprehensive Clinic. He's just giving us some guidelines to survive, uh, to getting through and forgiving another person. Um, in the end, this ends up changing me. Changes my mindset about me, and, and what does that then do to me? I now am free. Then the burden I'm carrying uh, is released, and I, how I choose to respond to the perpetrator in the future could be: I may never see this person. Yeah, again. that's okay, but I don't have to carry this burden. And often, uh, in a therapeutic context, people will use symbolic things like: here's a rock, a heavy rock. Mm-hmm. What do you want to do with this? Here's, uh, and they'll throw it off a cliff, or here's something, an object that represents, and I'll destroy that. Hmm. I'll leave. A letter at the foot of a cross for a Christian person. Yeah. Or I'll read, I'll write something and then burn it or bury something. Are often symbolic ways for us to s- symbolize I am different now. I've, I am moving forward. I'm letting go. I am forgiving. Powerful. Man. Well done. Dr. Dean Barley, thanks for being here and walking us through this. This is... It's so needed for all of us. And again, for the rest, you can't just say, you need to forgive. There's a process to this. So be careful how you how you help people and guide people through this. One thing I would do is send them um, this uh, send them this show and let them hear this process because it really is a step-by-step way to handle that. Plus, uh, just go get help in your area 
There's no end. There's no end to uh, being able to improve and grow and heal. We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Forgiveness, it's something we're all going to be going through uh, one day at a time, right? And nobody will will not be offended by the work somebody else does. In fact, there's a crazy story. Police say a Vermont chocolate factory worker hated his job and he wanted to get fired. So he did the first thing that came to his mind. He called in a bomb threat. You know? 22-year-old Christopher... Uh, Pregent sold a co-worker's or actually stole a co-worker's cell phone, made a false threat under the a different worker's name on Monday night at the uh, Barry Calabot Chocolate Factory in St. Albans. Police say uh, Pregent then threw the cell phone into the toilet tank. <laughs> he first told police that he received a bomb threat, then later said that it didn't happen. He then told officers he was unhappy with his job and he wanted out. Regent was charged with false uh, public alarm, petty larceny, and unlawful mischief. You know, folks, if you don't want your job anymore, just quit. Just quit. You don't need to have a bomb threat. You don't need to steal cell phones. (sighs) Just quit. It's tough, but don't ruin a chocolate factory for the rest of us. We're going to take a break. Hour number two, folks, of the Matt Townsend Show. Remember, our goal is here to help you find the good in the world. Find a better life for you and your family. Just don't call it a bomb threat. We'll be back after the break. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. This is the show, folks, where we don't just bring you the news. We bring you life's lessons, those uh, things that you got to learn to create a healthier, happier life. We want you to live longer, love stronger, and lead. Lead a healthier life and lead the people around you, for heaven's sakes. Today we got a great topic for you. We're going to be discussing uh, a book with a guy named Bob Dickey who wrote the book um, The Leap. The Leap. How to Make the Leap to a Faith-Driven Career in a Fear-Based Society. We'll get into that. I mean, sometimes you got to you got to go. You just got to go with your heart. You got to go with the company or the job that uh, is maybe more aligned to your faith. That's more aligned to your your own personal goals, your dreams. And yet, you know, it doesn't always make sense financially. We'll get into that. Get some uh, cool tools uh, about the leap in just a few minutes. By the way, uh, there is a leap. I'm sure this is in your news, Kathy NASA. Yeah. Did you are you, you going to be talking I'm about not, that? I'm not. I'm not, but we can talk about it now. NASA is uh they they're going to come out and basically say There's water made your find. Water on yeah. Mars. Yeah. Flowing water. Uh, flowing water. Which you know what that means? It means surfing. <laughs> there will be on surfing Mars. on Mars. <laughs> 
that's why you want to go. If you are into surfing, you will love the surf oh, on Mars. Wow, cool. It also means you'll have a pool to hang out in. You can get a suntan. I don't know what that would look like. A suntan from Mars. Maybe that's – maybe you'll burn up and die. Yeah. Well, that's a big reason to go then. Anyway, that's great. And by the way – I'd rather go to California, but I would you know, it's a lot quicker. I'd rather go to Hawaii. <laughs> there you go. Wouldn't that be great? Yes, it mm. would. Uh, let's ask Don about that. I think Don should take us to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Do the show live. Just, just give it a Hawaii. shot. Yeah. And the blood moon. I mean, this is right on the hills of the blood moon. Yeah. And apparently the world's not over. Have Have you heard any headlines about the world being over? No. I have okay. not. Though there's been lots. So I think Costco has been overflowing oh, with yeah. people getting food storage. And yeah, yeah. Because you know, if the world's over, you're going to need food storage. <laughs> you know, if you survive, I mean, you will need food storage. Because what's so funny is the the if the moon is blood red, first thing I think about is you need a year's supply of paper towels <laughs> and toilet paper, probably. Yeah, I don't. I mean, if, yeah. If it's an intergalactic thing that's going on, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how much storage is going to help you. <laughs> I had a neighbor once that said, I don't need storage. and I mean, As long as I've got guns, I don't need storage. So go store everything you want, but I've got the guns. Yeah, but one of the people with food have guns too. <sighs> yeah, you You're try in trouble. this guy. Though. Yeah. Well, I guess he has a bigger gun. I don't know. I just – you know what? That's an age-old issue. <laughs> I just want I – just, I, just, I just want us to get along. You know, just the basics. Don't you, when you see uh, people in places that have um, like hurricanes and things, how uh-huh. they rush to get yeah. like you need the, you need just a, the basics. Yeah. I mean, but everyone should have like everyone a, should have the basics. Little water. supply, six month whatever right. supply. Yeah, yeah. Of water. I don't think most people do. Of caffeine. Even one beverages. month, you know, because these people, even if it's just for a few days, yeah. they're scrambling to get just water in the basics. So. Come on. You need Captain Crunch? Yes. Oh, for sure. And you know what? I sent some Captain Crunch to a missionary in Japan. Right. He has yet to receive it. He thinks it's lost. So you know now what? I've got to go figure that out. I've got to go to the post office and see where it is. Have you had Captain Crunch lately? Not lately. It's... It kind of tears my mouth uh, Me to shreds. Me <laughs> My wife thinks I just have a soft kind of sissy mouth. No, that kind of... Yes, yeah. Ben actually says he does too. But it, I love Captain it's... Crunch I with Crunch Berries, actually. Uh, I like the Crunch Berries too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm hungry. What is today? I haven't heard you say what today is, today, by the way. Today is – it's a great day and I can't remember <laughs> it's Monday. what it is. But it is uh, – it's family day. It's good neighbor day and it's national strawberry cream pie day. Oh, that's the great day then. I didn't uh, – I haven't been reading that. That's – We need to have you guys over because last night we made fresh peach ice cream. Oh, that is Which the best. was to die yeah. for. Oh, love that. Did, do you do it by hand? Do you have to – Keep yeah, no. spinning that thing. No, you, you we just have turn electrical, it on and, yeah, an electrical kind of machine yeah. uh-huh, that does it for us. <laughs> my, my, we that would to, take way too long. Yeah. Back in the day, back grandparents the day. would make you just mm-hmm. keep stirring it, mm-hmm. turning it. That's what turned me into a man. <laughs> so you've got those big biceps. got that big right bicep. <laughs> the other one's all weak and puny. <laughs> anyway, let's go to the headlines. Find out what Kathy's got going on for us. Good morning, everyone. In his biggest event of his U.S. visit last night, Pope Francis urged the hundreds of thousands gathered for Mass in Philadelphia to be open to, quote, miracles of love. He spoke of the importance of family before wrapping up his six-day visit. Yesterday morning, the Pope met with five victims of clerical sexual abuse and warned bishops they would be held accountable if they failed to protect their flocks. I commit to a careful oversight to ensure that youth are protected and that all responsible will 
be held accountable. During his stay, the Pope spoke on climate change, immigration, religious freedom, and marriage. On his Twitter page, the Pope said, With my heartfelt thanks, may the love of Christ always guide the American people. President Obama is set to meet with Russian President Vladimir Putin today, the first face-to-face meeting between the two in quite a while. Expected topics are Russia's growing military presence in Syria and the ongoing crisis in Ukraine. President Obama spoke this morning to the U.N. Assembly, talking about the Iran nuclear accord, ISIS, bloodshed, in Syria and Cuba relations. In the latest Fox News poll, Hillary Clinton's personal favorable ratings hit a new low mark while Ben Carson continues to climb on the Republican side. Just 38 percent of voters view Clinton favorably, down from 45 percent in May. Part of the reason for her decline is the ongoing email controversy. Yesterday, Clinton said she's cooperating with the investigation. Uh, I can't predict to you what the Republicans will come up with, what kind of you know charges or claims they might make. I have no control over that. I can only do the best I can to try to respond. The Justice Department has the emails. They have the server. They're conducting a security inquiry. They will take whatever necessary steps are required to get this matter resolved. The number of voters who view Ben Carson favorably is up 20 percent. He's at 46 percent now from 26 percent in May. That's the highest number among Republicans. GOP frontrunner Donald Trump has 34 percent favorability rating to 59 disapproval. House Speaker John Boehner, who resigned last week, isn't leaving quietly. Boehner said yesterday he has plenty to get done in his last 30 days on the job and blasted hardline conservatives. The Senate is expected to pass a continuing resolution next week. Uh, The House uh, will take up uh, the Senate bill. The continuing resolution, will that require Democratic votes to pass? Uh, I'm sure it will, uh, but I expect uh, my Democrat colleagues want to keep the government open as much as I do. Boehner leaves office at the end of October. The former prison seamstress who helped two men escape from an upstate New York prison was sentenced this morning. Joyce Mitchell sobbed as she was sentenced to up to seven years behind bars. German prosecutors have opened a criminal probe into former Volkswagen CEO Martin Winterkorn. This coming after the automaker's recent admission it installed software to cheat emissions tests in 11 million of its diesel cars. Winterkorn resigned last week, accepting responsibility for irregularities but not any personal wrongdoing. And Matt, Tokyo has Mm. recommended adding some additional sports for the 2020 Olympic Games. What? Baseball, softball, skateboarding, surfing, and sports climbing. Now, the recommendations for the new sports will be submitted to the IOC, and the decision won't be made until August of next year. A couple of, uh, or a few sports that failed to make the cut. Bowling. Oh, yeah. Darn it. Squash. Okay. And wushu. Oh, I (laughs) wushu'd. What's a wushu? Full contact sport derived from traditional Chinese martial martial arts. Ooh, wow. So I heard it's pretty intense, yeah. It's kind of like yeah. MMA-ish. Probably. Wushu. Yeah, so that's gone. Wushu is What's no longer. sports climbing? I don't know. I don't know if that's the wall climbing, you know, the real speed uh-huh. climbing. I'm not sure. It didn't say. It just said sports climbing. I'm not quite sure what that is, but Sometimes that's what I think it is. In football, you'd see one person get tackled and they'd all climb on, mm-hmm, jump on. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's it. <laughs> I don't think that's it. And your job is to no. get out from under the pile. No. I don't Mm. think so. Surfing would be quite interesting. Oh, yeah. You You know, know? Bronco Mendenhall loves surfing. He loves surfing. I I didn't know we could just make up. New sports. You can to throw so in there. if it if you are the host, you can uh, recommend one or more additional sports. Sumo and then wrestling. They go, yeah, I know. Wouldn't that be? I that don't think there's a whole fantastic. lot in the U.S. Though. Oh, there's yeah. not a whole lot of sumo wrestlers in the U.S. That's true. It, the Japan would just sweep everybody. Yeah, you don't want to dominate. <laughs> no, I know. Hey, so when are we getting Holly Mendenhall on again? Do we uh, know? In a couple weeks. Great. She's coming back. All right. And we're gonna have to find out. You know, 
how she feels about this. But, you know, BYU went 2-2 two and two this yeah. month. That's you know what? I think record. most people said if they got to 2-2 two and two after this month would be very good. Yeah. I mean, they had a very tough schedule. Yeah. One of the toughest, one of the tough, uh, toughest schedules, September schedules by far. October 6th, by the way, is when Holly will be with us. Great. I can't wait. Yeah. I love to I love it when she comes in. I do too. And then yeah. we, you get, we get the inside scoop. Mm-hmm. Maybe she'll. I wonder if she surfs. Does she surf? I don't know. Or she that just she does. Surf. I think she watches Bronco. Okay. Um, I, but I hear she's great at wushu. Mm-hmm. Maybe she'll have to show you the finer arts of wushu. <laughs> what we got to do is we'll pit her against Ben and mm-hmm. have a little wushu, wushu contest. competition. Oh, that would this be good. Could be fantastic. And then we'll see if we'd be interested in watching it. Watching it or and not? We will. Uh, we will periscope that. That'll be our very first periscope. <laughs> Where Holly takes on Ben Wasden. No, I think it needs to be you. That would be more entertaining. Sorry, Ben. No offense. (sighs) Sure. (laughs) Hit the guy with plantar and lung problems. (laughs) That is what wushu. That's wushu. That's what it sounds like. That's wushu. Pretty intense. At its best. Thanks, Kathy. Appreciate uh, the headlines, the update. Let's uh, take a break. When we come back, we'll be speaking with Bob Dickey. about launching a full-time career in this part-time economy. How do you make the leap, folks? It's not always easy, is it? How do you take that jump? He's going to give us some pretty interesting insight. Do you just, you know, slowly build this other career on the side? Do you just exert all of your faith that you can and jump ship? What do you do if you want to have a little career change? Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back talking jobs and the leap it takes right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, You know, the economy is constantly changing. It's been discouraging. A lot of people uh, feel like they haven't been able to make the money they deserve or they need to make in this economy and uh, haven't been able to get back to the to the good old days when they, they, they seem to have been making better money before the economy tanked. So how do we go about making a change? How do you make that shift uh, it's never an easy thing. Joining us today on the phone is uh, Bob Dickey, and Bob Dickey is the author of the book that's going to teach us how to make this change, this shift, this leap, and uh, who better to do it, uh, honestly, than the author of the book, The Leap. How to take the leap, when you think about it, how to Take the Leap, Launching Your Full-Time Career in a Part-Time Economy. Bob Dickey, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Matt, it's quite an honor to be with you. Thank, for, thank you for having me on your program today. You bet. Uh, love, I love this topic because it's not a natural thing to just, you know, when you need to change your career, you're feeling it, you sense it, you might have a passion somewhere else. It's a dangerous thing. And there's some people that don't naturally just jump or leap or take the leap. That's exactly. Absolutely true. You know, I've made a couple of leaps in my career, uh, you know, from college into the military and then from the military environment into the private sector and then from private sector into a startup and then into the nonprofit work. Mm. And each time that I've done it, you know, I've learned something. I've all, I feel like I've grown my skills and my abilities and it becomes a little bit easier. But the very first time that you do that, 
the very first time you take that leap kind of into the unknown, it can be very unnerving. And there's a lot of people, I believe, in this new economy that's being formed around us that need to make a really big mental leap and also sometimes a career leap so that they can have a viable career in the future. But they're being held back by anchors. They're being held back by fear. So that was what I was uh, hoping to do with this book is to be able to educate people on what they can do to prepare for those types of leaps. Yeah, I love it. In fact, give us your definition of what is the leap. Well, for, first and foremost, it's a leap mentally. I think that we have to have a paradigm shift. A lot of times we are operating based on uh, things that we saw happen for our parents and our grandparents. And the economy that we're living in is completely different than how our parents and grandparents grew up. You know, millennials today are going to have anywhere from 10 to 14 different careers mm. in their lifetime. So they have to engineer, all of us have to engineer our lives completely different than what previous generations needed to do. Uh, taking the physical leap, sometimes that requires us to actually leave a career field that may be in a dying sector or in a sector that's not going to have much growth opportunity for us and our families in the future. Uh, I'm a huge advocate of encouraging people to make sure that they have more than one stream of income for their family. A lot of the people that I saw got really hurt during the last downturn in 2008 to 2009 during that economic cycle. A lot of families only had one single source of income. So when the single breadwinner loses a job, the whole family's devastated. Ooh, right. So I believe in creating multiple streams of income for our families. Now, and, and also, I guess we should probably evaluate, I know you just said that we should evaluate if we're in a, if we're in an area or a specialty that's a dying, you know, job area. Is this something that's going to be around? And with the internet and the advent of the internet, a lot of businesses, journalism and others are going out of business. That's absolutely correct. And, you know, our, our grandparents used to be able to get trained in high school, but very few of them went on to college They'd be able to then go into uh, the economy. Many of them would have a career at a company for 30 to 40 years, never have to change, be able to retire and have that safe pension. Nowadays, the economy is being uh, refashioned and re-engineered at such a rapid rate. You're having rises of new jobs and new specialties that weren't around even five years ago, and you're having the death of old sector, old economy type of jobs. So it's very important for us not to have our head in the sands but to be up, be alert, uh, be understanding what's going on, and try to be proactive and take proactive steps. If we see that our sector of the economy is changing, how can we remake ourselves or re-engineer ourselves to have success in the future? Mm. Do, do you feel like, uh, Bob, that everybody could be an entrepreneur? or is Because it, it seems like there's a lot of opportunities out there for the aggressive entrepreneur, the visionary that wants to go start a little something here or there. But others are just used to going to work, planting themselves in a chair, and riding the wave. Yeah, you know, I've had that question asked of me uh, quite frequently. And as I speak with college, colleges and universities around the country, a lot of people want to know, are entrepreneurs made or are they born? Hmm. And there are, there's certain, there, there are certain characteristics of natural-born entrepreneurs, kind of like high-risk takers, and they, and they don't mind um, – of being in an environment where it's all on their shoulders. And there are some people who are less risk um, takers. They're a little more risk adverse. They like walking into a nine to five job and that security and stability. But I do believe that everyone has the ability to grow those entrepreneurial muscles, uh, to be able to branch out and to be able to do things that bring extra income in for their families. And so 
uh, even those people who want to have that nine to five corporate job, who, who feel safe and secure there, I talk about, I believe that, that those environments are some of the riskiest environments in the economy today. Hmm. Take a look at people who used to work for Enron. Yeah. At one point in time, it was the number one most respected company in America. And you can take a look at General Motors and WorldCom, all sorts of big corporate giants where people would feel like, oh, I'm safe in this nice environment. I'm going to be able to work for 30 years and retire. And they walk into the work one morning and the uh, Enron, it's gone. It's gone bankrupt. Or G- General Motors is shipping jobs overseas as you know they're going through bankruptcy in the past. So I believe the corporate environment may actually be one of the most risky environments as we move forward. Yeah, well, totally. I mean, with this, the age of technology, yeah. I mean, I have friends that just they go find one little product to sell online and they build a website around it and they're making great money. And that is something you can do while at your job. I mean, not not while you're on the hour, on the paycheck of the job, but you can work on it at night. You can outsource some of the code to be written by someone else. A spouse could maybe watch it. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of different ways to, to make some money today, isn't there? It really is. And I'm glad that you're hitting on this. You know, that the terms that we're seeing uh, in the news, they're, they're calling it the freelancer economy or the gig economy. Mm. And it's amazing how many people have a full-time job. Maybe they're 10 years into it and they're like, boy, I really enjoy what I'm doing. I still want to further my career here as long as possible, but I'm going to launch a side business. I'm going to do a little freelance work on the side or a little gig. You know, I know families here in Knoxville, Tennessee, who have started a tutoring business and they're making fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year by tutoring local high school kids hmm. after class on the on the weeknights and on the weekend. I know people who have started lawn mowing businesses and lawn care businesses, startup uh, websites that are selling products and services. It's amazing the entrepreneurial spirit that is underfoot here within the United States. I think a lot of it is because. People realize how risky corporate America has become. They see the, the economy changing around them, and they want to make sure they're prepared to be able to provide for their families. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, I guess th- there are probably some impediments for some in this, in this kind of market where if I'm not very tech savvy, that seems like that may hold me back. Are there other paradigms that, um, that might keep me from – from maybe leaping and getting into this more quickly? That's a great question, and we've touched on one of them. And I I call that in the book mental anchors, people who have these mental conceptions of, well, I'm not really good, or I'm not an entrepreneur. I I can't take the risk. I'm, I'm too scared to go out there and try that. And so we need to break through those mental barriers. It's amazing how many people have negative self-talk. Hmm. They, they, they tell themselves, I call them lies, uh, and, we, and we have to overcome those. And it, we, we need a mentor and a coach to help us overcome negative self-talk and to be able to look at the world through a positive lens, through a proactive lens of being able to go out there and accomplish things. But mental anchors really hold people back. You know, I, in the book, I also go into financial anchors. This is another one that I see hold a lot of young people back and even people mid, mid-career Uh, We have lived in a society where we have been driven by consumerism and acquiring debt and building the big houses and having the multiple cars. You know, it's uh, and acquiring all this debt has actually hindered a lot of people from being able to take leaps in their career. People who feel like they're being called to do something, maybe to call be called into ministry or mission work to help the poor. 
and they can't leave because like, oh, I've got this huge mortgage or I've got $30,000 in student loan debt. So I believe we need to put strategies in place now more than ever. This is extremely important. Reduce our debt load. We should not be leveraged up get out of debt as quickly as possible. But when you're out of debt, it gives us all sorts of opportunities to be able to make leaps, to be able to go and serve in places where maybe God's calling us to serve, to be able to help those in need. So getting rid of financial anchors is absolutely critical. And, you know, I also talk a little bit about physical anchors, and this is something that I've struggled with. When we're young in our career, we can be driven to work very hard. Sometimes we put our physical health uh, on the back burner. And I believe, if, as I've interviewed a lot of senior citizens who are in the tail ends of retirement, what we're finding is that the number one cost that we are going to have in retirement is health care. And if we take a little bit of time, do a little due diligence, and we work hard to protect our health, stay fit, uh, stay active when we're young, what it's going to allow us to do is to have a more um, – productive and happy retirement, and it's also going to greatly reduce our retirement costs. So a smaller retirement portfolio will actually be able to uh, to carry us forward. So I believe a lot of young people, myself included, I needed to look at this and make sure that I was taking care of my physical uh, body and and so forth, uh, that, so it's not an anchor in right. my old age. Yeah, so it doesn't drag you down. We're, we're speaking um, right now with Robert Dickey uh, III, and he's the author of the book, The Leap, Launching Your Full-Time Career in Our Part-Time Economy. We'll take a break, come back, and get into some of his tools. So what should we do to uh, to get ready to leap? What needs to be done? Uh, getting rid of some of the anchors, that's a great beginning. And then what else do we need to do to start making plans, specific plans? For the leap. Stick with us, folks. More on the leap and Robert Dickey when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, joining us on the phone is uh, uh, Robert Dickey III, the author of the book, The Leap, Launching Your Full-Time Career in Our Part-Time Economy. And uh, he's teaching us, you know, you got to you gotta plan on being a little more entrepreneurial. And um, this isn't uh, the old lifestyle that uh, mom and dad may have had, working for one company forever. Up to even 10 to 14 careers is uh, it's what a lot of us are going to be experiencing in our lifetime. And he's here to just give us the tools, the information we need to make the leap. Again, so honored to have you here. Bob Dickey, thanks for joining us. Paul, oh, thank you for having me with you today. You bet. And the website, if you go to the website, robertldickey.com, wonderful information and just his blog, other uh, research and tools to help you along with this, um, as long as as well as free downloads and videos. So, Bob, what are some of the things we should be doing today? How how do we go about making a plan and and making this thing happen to take the leap to another career? Yeah, well, starting off with a plan is the very first thing that you want to do. And you know, one of the things that, that the challenges that I have seen as I speak with college students around the country and people who are in their mid career, a lot of times that are unsatisfied, they just really don't know what to do. They, they want to make a leap, but they don't know where to go. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times what we're finding is that people have chosen a career, a path, 
based on maybe what their parents wanted for them or based on what they thought would make them happy. Uh, they were chasing after monetary success and so picking career fields based on that. And I think we need to back up. And I'm a firm believer that God has created each one of us uniquely, given us a unique design, and that there's a special plan for each one of us, and we're, we have special gifts. And so taking a couple of minutes for pause and reflection and really asking the question, what, what am I passionate about? How was I uniquely designed? What is it that I was crafted to do? What is my purpose here on this planet for my lifetime? Mm. And th- there's a resource that I recommend uh, people check out. It's called Career Direct. It's very much like a Myers-Briggs personality assessment, but it goes much deeper into our values and our passion to unlock our purpose. And so many people that I've walked through this process you know, they find themselves going in one career field and they realize, oh, my goodness, I'm headed down the wrong path. Yeah. You no, know, I'm really designed for this. And when we find what we're here for, when we truly unlock why God has us here and what our mission is on this planet, that's when I believe people become lit on fire. That's when we're going to be able to go out there and make the biggest impact and where we're going to have fun, where we're going to have success and we'll be able to help others. So start with a plan. First and foremost, understand who you are, why you're here, start there. You know, secondly, a lot of people, uh, this, this happens a lot of times for mid-career professionals where they might be wanting to launch a side business or be, branch out into some entrepreneurial work, but they may not have training in it. And they, and they may be letting fear hold them back and say, boy, I, I don't know what it means to start a business. I don't even know how to do it. There's free resources all over the web. And one place I'd like to point people, there's this new revolution taking place in the education space. They're called MOOCs, hmm. Massive Open Online Courses. And these are websites where you can go and you can take classes from BYU. You can take classes from the University of Michigan, Virginia, Harvard, Stanford. It's the top universities all around the country that are offering free courses for people who are mid-career. And you can learn how to uh, do the basics of accounting or ah. finance or the basics of, of entrepreneurship. So instead of launching out and doing something without that training, go out there, glean some knowledge, get a coach and get a mentor to help you along your way so you're not launching into this without any type of planning. Yeah. But I would recommend those two things first and foremost. And so MOOCs and then what was the other website, Career Direct? Career Direct. So if you go to careerdirect-ge, uh, if you if you go online, you'd be able to see those that assessment. But it is it really dives into uh, a person's values and passions and helping them understand how God created them and what their yeah. unique calling is in this world. I love that because then all of a sudden, you know, if you believe in God and you're driven by that and you have a passion about your beliefs, then everything you're doing in your day to day job is connected to your higher purpose in in life and eternity. It really is. And when we, when we live our lives in alignment with how we've been created, that's where we have the greatest opportunity for success, I believe. Yeah. And then from that, I guess, so we go through those activities on uh, careerdirect-ge and go go look up the MOOCs and start learning training and figure out what you like and you can get educated in it. Then what? Just um, then what? Do we make a plan from there? What, how does it go? Well, two, two, two places I would recommend uh, searching out MOOCs. Uh, edx.com and, I be, and, and uh, Coursera. Those are two really 
popular MOOC websites, and they have classes from the best universities from all over the world, and, and most of them are free. Hmm. Uh, the other thing that I would recommend is for everyone to have a financial plan. There's a, it's amazing how many people don't have a financial plan and aren't able to track their monthly budget and their spending. And when we don't have that financial plan, that's when we can get into debt. One of the free resources that I absolutely love, I think it's the best software out there, is Mint.com. Yeah, yeah we talk about and that within, a lot. Yeah, within 30 minutes, you can put your entire financial portfolio everything in there, and you can start tracking it on your smartphone. So definitely have a financial plan. And I also go into uh, why I believe it's important to create a freedom fund. And I have a free download on, on my website that talks a little bit how to do this. But I believe that in this new economy, with people having to change work uh, so frequently, that it's important to have a freedom fund. And that's a reserve, a cash reserve of anywhere from six months to one year. Hmm. And once we have that built up and set aside, that gives us uh, security and the ability to make various leaps. And if we lose our job, if something happens in the economy, we have the ability to not only take care of ourselves and our family, but also to be able to help others in our community who might be in need. So a freedom fund, I believe, is very important. That's a great uh, way to put it, too. Freedom fund, because the freedom to you know, make moves, make changes, or the freedom to help and serve other people, it's powerful. Absolutely. And, you know, another thing, a lot of times people, when I'm chatting with folks around the country, they're saying, well, Bob, I, I want to become an entrepreneur. But, you know, I, I go out to look at various franchises. And if I was to open up a McDonald's franchise, it's going to cost me maybe a million and a half dollars to get started. Or some of these other franchises, they're, they're less expensive. But, you know, you can uh, there, there's a price tag sometimes of upwards of $100,000 or more. And I, and I remind them, it's like, look, you don't have to start a business that's capital intensive. You don't have to have $100,000 or $1.5 million to start a business. There's a way for you to be an entrepreneur, to be starting a side, you know, kind of freelance business. And there's all sorts of opportunities. I highlighted a few of them earlier, mm. but I, I also have some friends who uh, have started home-based businesses. They've gone out to the DSA to take a look at various opportunities that might be available to them. And so whether they're very passionate about, you know, uh, supplements and healthcare products, there's all sorts of opportunities where we can create side income for our families, where the investment upfront might just be a few hundred dollars and not a million dollars. And I really encourage people to be looking at ways in which they can take their skills and their talents and leverage them outside of their yeah. nine to five job mm. to create a second stream of income for their family. Well, uh, we appreciate you. Um, I mean, that is that's so much great information. And again, the book is called The Leap. Um, the leap, uh, uh, the leap, launching your full time career in our part time economy. But go to his website, robertldickey.com, d i c k i e, robertldickey.com. There's blogs. There's all the information you need there, um, a- along with just tons of resources and tools to figure it out, folks. Don't give up. He's if you just listen to uh, Bob's experience, there's hope there, and there's a lot of information, and you don't just need to jump. You know, without a net, you can you can jump and leap in a healthy way. Great stuff. We're going to take a break. Come back. Go visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out uh, their view of what happened with BYU and Michigan. Also, uh, you know, see if they're going to take the leap after such a difficult uh, game. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back after the break.
back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It may not be the end of the world as we know it, but, you know, sometimes BYU fans, it feels like it is. Let's go down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, Jerem and Brian Logan today. Hello, gentlemen. Whoa. Excuse us. How are you doing, guys? We apparently have lo- we've lost them. Um, we were talking about the Michigan game, the BYU-Michigan game. Guys, are you there? Yeah, we're, we're having some technical difficulties here, bringing them up. You know what it is? It's after the weekend, after the crazy... Uh... Maddie. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. You made so, it. How sorry, are you? We, we were crying. We're is that back. what it was? Yeah. Was it the song, The End of the World as We Know It? Did that bother you guys? Hashtag Blood Moon. Hashtag Blood Moon. It was, it was the end of the world for some BYU were you, fans. Were you able to see the blood moon yesterday? Uh, we were. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was great. Did it you was s- dark from where I was at. It was kind of weird. I don't know if it was like... Well, no, Brian, Brian, you have to go out of your house. You know that, right? Oh, that was my issue. Yeah, you have to, you have to leave <laughs> the house. couldn't see it through the, my blanket. I, no, I literally looked at it through you, the window. So you couldn't... You, well, yeah. But, you know, if you're too close to the mountains, too, they say it comes out a little later, you know, just because uh, yeah. you're too close. To the, and, I was, I was kind of close. You live up on the benches. We understand. Mm-hmm. Hey, um, I got in the game though when I did play, so I wasn't on the bench. Yeah. You guys, uh, what was your what was your take? Give give me the professional take on the BYU Michigan game. I don't really know how professional I could say this, but uh, they got uh, their butts spanked. Yeah, they got racked. It's it's tough because BYU did not turn the ball over a lot, or in fact, at all. Hmm. Uh, and Michigan just was you line up uh, in some positions. You know, you have one on one matchups, and BYU uh, lost every single one of those matchups. Yeah, BYU was overwhelmed, overmatched, humiliated. It was bad. BYU's only been shut out three times since 1975. Mm. Um, it was the lowest offensive output, 105 yards since 1974. Wow. Um, your ranked team on national TV. Yeah. It, it, it was disappointing, for sure. It's not the end of the season. No. It's not the end of the world. We talked about it. It's not a terrible team that came out with two wins in September. Was Michigan but, that good, or was BYU just struggling? I think Both. Michigan was. I think Michigan was that good. I, they're I think, really. They're, I think, they're better than we thought. Yeah, I, yeah. You, I think the issue was the expectations from both sides. Uh, you saw Michigan start off very slow and start to uh, really it, it, it increase their game, their level of play uh, throughout the last four weeks. So by the time they got to BYU, I think they were starting to to become a a well oiled machine. Mm-hmm. Whereas BYU is the other way around. Uh, started off really hot, and then through certain injuries and, and other uh, fatigue issues that they were facing, uh, you know, being on the road, traveling, all those things, I think they, they the the uh, the fire started to, to to burn out a little bit. So it was kind of the perfect storm at the perfect time, uh, which resulted in in that beatdown. Hmm. Wow, you guys. So so you're are you are you still going to do your show today, or do you guys t- cancel your show and just? This is the time we need the show the most. Yeah, you're going to walk. You're going to walk people off the bridge. Need the show. Yeah, this is therapy. Well, yeah, there's a lot to discuss, and there's no way of getting around the Michigan game was uh, a disappointment to the highest degree. But I love your Twitter question. Yeah, what what do you improve? 
What do you yeah. want to improve, guys? Before yeah. UConn. And BYU is a quick turnaround. They play Friday against Connecticut, a team that BYU beat by 25 last season. Connecticut did play Missouri tough. However, we're not going to talk about Connecticut no, no. today. We're well, talking all Michigan and what and what happened. Well, we saw, yeah. There was a lot there. Trevor Maddich will join us of ESPN, former Cougar, weigh in on what he thought. Spencer Hadley, former Raider linebacker, will be in studio and talk to us about what he saw. Um, obviously, tomorrow and after further review, inside BYU football, the whole week on BYU Sports Nation, lots of insight. Uh, and then, of course, pre- and post-game show Friday, rebroadcast. So there's still, there's still a lot to happen. Here's the thing. Four games have been played. Eight yeah. games are left. That was the worst possible scenario for BYU. I believe in regression to the mean. High moments, Hail Marys. Yeah. Low moment, thirty for sure, 31 nothing yeah, against down. Michigan. Okay, BYU, UCLA, BYU played UCLA to a one-point game. UCLA just handed it to Arizona on the road and is a top-10 team. So BYU somewhere in the middle. I don't know where. Right. We're going to find out as we play these games, but they're mm. certainly not the team that they showed they were uh, at Michigan. Do, 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 I've got some advice. Hmm. Um, have you guys ever heard of uh, Takaru Kobayashi? Nope. He is a competitive eater. He's the hot dog eater guy. You know, the guy that oh, competitively eats yeah. billions of hot dogs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he um, maybe he could help because he went to Chicago to help them break the Billy Goat curse. He was kind of near um, Ann Arbor. What's he didn't really help. Well, there's a curse that's been going on for 69 years with the Cubs that yeah. they couldn't win. 69 years? Uh, yeah, 69 years it's been happening. Oh, we're talking about baseball. Six, 69 games times 100. Yeah, no, it was 69 years. The Chicago. This happened in 19... This all started 1945. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, World Series when Billy Cyanus, the owner of the Billy Goat Tavern, is said to have shown up at a ballpark with his pet goat Murphy. The goat wasn't allowed to enter uh, the 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 by the Cubs onto Wrigley Field, and that ticked him off. And he then cursed him and said, "The Cubs ain't gonna win anymore." And the Cubs lost not only the World Series, but they haven't been back to the championship since then earning the nickname the Lovable Losers. So Takeru Kobayashi joined with four other competitive eaters to eat a 40-pound goat in a, <laughs> in a chow down. Well, the good news is the Cubs clinched uh, you know, a playoff. See, boom. This year. See? There's still work to be done. So, so let's get, let's get Takeru here. Don't make me leave like this, Murph! <laughs> and let's, let's, make me stay! Let's eat some goat. Let's eat some goat. Let's eat some goat. <laughs> Let's eat us some goat. Have you ever had goat before? <laughs> oh, I have. I love a good goat. I've not had goat. I don't think I've had goat. I've milked a goat, but that's a whole other story. I want to eat some wolverine. Mm, have you had good. wolverine? I hear it's like chicken. Everything is like chicken, really. Mm-hmm. Like frog legs. I mean, yeah. any type of meat that you eat that's kind of not normal, like wolverine. You know what else tastes like chicken? Wolverine. Chicken. Chicken does taste like chicken. We can't eat wolverine. The wolverine ate us. On Saturday, yes. Anyway, I'm Might just as well saying. Play the Imperial March. I'm just right saying. Now. When in doubt, goat it out. Goat it out. You've always said that. I applaud your consistency. <laughs> Thank you for that. We'll, we'll bring you down a goat. We'll bring you down a goat leg. A goat. There's nothing I want more right now than a goat leg. Barbecue goat leg. Yeah, they ate 40 pounds of it. I don't know how they did that, but apparently it ended the curse, so all is well. Guys, have a great show. I know it's going to be a tough one, but uh, who can handle it better than you two? Hey, bring it on, man. Take care, gentlemen. Thanks. Bye-bye. See ya. Be good. Yeah, that's hard, man. It's fun to like go do the show after some incredible Hail Mary pass. But when a Wolverine shreds a cougar 
All you got left is the goat. You just That's all you got. That's all you can hope for. Just a little goat meat. Anyway, did you hear about this guy? A Michigan woman was found to be uh, the $1 million lottery winner, but she she didn't know she had won. She had forgotten her ticket. It was in a pile of mail for four months. She then, she'd purchased the ticket back in May 26th, was really the $1 million ticket winner. She didn't know it. She went in to, was talking to someone at the store where she purchased the ticket, T&J Party Store, but forgot about it. And that person said, oh, yeah, they haven't claimed, the winner hasn't claimed the ticket, but it's from our store and it's a million bucks. And she's like, uh-oh, I got to go find my ticket. She went home. She found the $1 million lottery ticket in a pile of, you know, unread mail. Hmm. And she saw the five numbers, 01395269720. Just went through her mail. She's going through her paper apparently right there. Anyway, it happened, folks. She won $1 million. That's amazing. Did you hear about this guy in uh, arrested at a Walmart? Told Florida cops that he 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 basically stole a spoon. He stole a, a one dollar and twelve cents metal spoon, and they caught him. And when they arrested him, he's like, "Yeah, I stole the I stole the spoon." Why did you steal the spoon, Larry? His name is Greg, forty six year old Greg Lerner. Eleven p.m. at night, he was having the munchies, and he needed to go. Uh, he needed the metal spoon to eat his cereal. He had or he had just bought some Captain Crunch. And he needed a spoon. By the way, he has two prior convictions for theft. But uh, anyway, he was charged with a felony for the alleged spoon heist. Come on. Come on. We don't need to go there. Also, one other story we just got to get to. Florida woman discovered uh, during the announcement at her church that her husband had allegedly married another woman. What a nut job. So he's sitting there, the pastor's so proud of Mr. Jones, who's married this other woman, and the his first wife is like, what? And she stood up and ran out of the congregation crying. She then came back three days later, brought uh, copies of the man's, old man's, and uh, the old and the new marriage license, licenses to the Orange County Sheriff's Office, and Patrick Selicourt is now facing charges of criminal bigamy and falsifying official statements. He's going to jail. Hmm. Life's crazy. One in doubt, let's get a hero out here, folks. Uh, Cambridge Springs, Pennsylvania high school student Chris Silbaugh is our hero of the day. When Chris Silbaugh was five years old, he plopped down on one knee and taught himself how to tie his own shoes. By the time he turned nine, Silbaugh was blowing past his neighborhood pals, catching deep balls in a pickup football game so often that he became the most feared receiver on the block. At 14, in his first year of organized football, at uh, his school, he was carrying that distinction with him into the gridiron as a freshman on the varsity squad. Almost all feats that immediately uh, upgrade to mind-boggling when you consider that Silba was born without his left hand. It was just some sort of birth effect. Silba, nothing was wrong. He said, it was never stopped me. I just don't let it. Never have. Silba isn't a good guy, good for a guy with one hand. He's downright dominant. For a guy with two hands, earlier this month, Silba became Cambridge Springs' all-time receiving leader with 915 total yards when he snagged a 43-yard touchdown catch during a 63-0 win over Sagertown. It's pretty amazing. 
breaking all the records. Silva also clocks a 4-4 second 40-yard dash time. The same range that five-star prospects were in the summer at the opening championship. He's he's there. His record is uh, is among the best, and so he has a great future potential, folks. He is our hero of the day, Chris Silba, not letting a disability hold him down and showing the rest of us that uh, you can rise to high, high levels regardless of what's happened to you uh, or your disability. Chris Silba, you are the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. For all of us, uh, we can look up to you, and uh, we honor you for just having enough character to fight through life. That's it, show, folks. That's the show for the day. Tomorrow, back with more ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. Remember, you're a hero. Until tomorrow, make it a great one.